everybody, you are listening to the We Are Ryzen podcast, your source for all things Ryzen and JMMA, news, features, interviews, reviews of fights, etc., etc. This is your host, Andrew Benjamin, and I am not joined by my handsome co-host, Jay Christian Gary from Focus Fights. Uh, he is incognito right now. Hopefully, he'll be joining us at some point. Both of us to discuss the Ryzen 23 card, which will be... This Monday from the Pia Arena in Yokohama, Kanagawa, Japan, we have Luke, uh, also known as Trashy Coal Fan. Uh, Luke, thank you so much for taking your time out to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Uh, we're, we're great to ha- happy to have you on the show. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who, who you are, uh, and how you got into JMMA, kickboxing, all that stuff? Yeah, so my uh, personal history with this stuff stretches back pretty far, I think, relative to, like, how old I am, um, so I, I got, like, really, really heavily invested and interested in this stuff around the summer of 2011, when I was just, you know, obviously just a school kid off for the summer, super bored, spending all day on the internet anyway, and, you know, the internet, I think, is just, like, that's the kind of portal that you need for something like MMA, just to drag you into that rabbit hole, because you, there's so much information, so much content to consume, you can just keep going and going and going, and that's really where I went that summer, because I went from at the start of it basically being totally unaware of all of this stuff, to by the end of it, I was I was, I was was so in deep already, like I was already watching stuff like Dream, and I was watching Strike Forces and Bellators, like even beyond just casual UFC viewing, like I was doing that obviously as a constant on top of that, but very, very quickly I, I got into it there, and it's basically just continued on consistently from then until now, um, recently more into the kickboxing thing. That's been something different over the last probably like two or three years. I think I've like really started to heavily follow that as well, um, which is another you know adventure of its own, and that's been really really rewarding. And there's, there's a few really really cool people that you meet along the way that share that common interest with you, and it's been and Ryzen's been a really good platform because it kind of coalesced both of those things together. You know, it's a really good it's a really good uh, gateway drug, if you will, to that mm-hmm. whole scene. Yeah, and yeah, that's why I kind of. I do follow all the kickboxing, but I, I pay more attention to the kind of people that fight on the Ryzen shows just because I have more, you know, personal investment in them. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, yeah. if anybody wants to follow you on Twitter, they can follow you at, uh, how do you pass that word again? Luke? Luke? Well, they, hey, here's the thing. They can try and follow me. We'll see if they can pass the test because my Twitter account's locked down. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's like a VIP club, you know what I'm saying? You have to... I have to be, I have to suss you out before you get in. I don't want to let any riffraff in here. You know. I got you. I got you. Yeah, no peasants. No no filthy casuals. I'm an elitist, you know, and and unashamed to say it. Okay. Okay. Uh, so if you do, you want to plug your Twitter if you don't want to, or do you want people to? Does it? Do you want to find them instead of them finding you? What do you want to do? That's it. That's that's what I'd like. So, if pe- people, if they know, they know, and if they don't, they don't. You know, my tweets are pretty. I think irrelevant for the most part, anyway. So we we can keep that wherever. But if people want to know, they can look at the tweets on the uh, the We Are Rising feed, and I'm tagged on all those. So okay, okay, great. Yeah. Hey, uh, for everybody who wants to follow us, we are at We Are Rising Pod, and if you want to follow Jay Christian Gary, he is at Chris Gary ninety two. I am at a Benjil one, and you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and occasionally YouTube. Uh, we are here to talk the Ryzen 23 show, which will be this Monday at the Pia Arena, a new arena that was built in Japan, uh, Yokohama, Japan specifically, 
uh, and it will include six MMA bouts, three kickboxing bouts, and uh, before we get into the in-depth uh, in depth of the fights, uh, Luke, I want to ask you, what we, we heard today that apparently there will be some sort of international announcement for, the, for these two shows. Uh, from the uh, this was from Shingo, who is the uh, matchmaker for Ryzen and international liaison, I guess you could call him. What do you think about this whole thing and Ryzen's, I guess, keeping in mum about this whole international distribution for these two shows almost a, barely a week before the shows are supposed to go up? Yeah, it was, it was especially weird this time because I distinctly remember in the lead up to the 22 show back in. February, there was another similar issue where it was very late notice that it was decided and announced that it was going to be on Fight TV. And when Fight TV made that announcement, they specifically said that it was a long-term future agreement with Ryzen for them to have the exclusive broadcast rights. And I don't know what happened since then, but we're now in, you know, uncharted waters yet again. I don't know if it's COVID, probably is. Probably could be a bunch of things, you know I mean? Fight TV's whole thing is like live entertainment content and that entire industry is just taking an absolute haymaker right now so maybe that's just throwing everything out of whack um yeah i mean it's just it's coming to the territory at this point really doesn't it it's just expected you have to just be okay with the chaos with the with the with the not knowing that's the only way i think at this point you can you can just uh, detach yourself from worrying about it too much you know whatever happens happens they haven't let us down yet you know at least since the first Rising FF1 show, right after the initial New Year's show, I don't know if you remember, that didn't have any international broadcast whatsoever. The only way that anyone, any of us could watch live was on this like weird, janky Chinese stream. And it only didn't even come up until after like an hour and a half into the event. That was a real disaster. But since then, it's always, always just before the end, it's, it's, it's come around and it's managed to manage to serve us. So, I mean, I trust Shingo. I mean, if he's made an announcement like that, I mean, also, and also with recent weeks they were still posting updates from the rising english account which to me said okay they are doing something here otherwise why would you be updating the english international accounts if you weren't intending to broadcast internationally so he's made that post thank god and yeah just i guess we're watching this space and seeing what the uh, the decision is mm -hmm. this saturday uh just want to get your thoughts on on it being you know being announced Almost well. Here's a, here's a, we were in, recently interviewed by uh, by a author a, a writer named Jack from uh, Knockdown News to talk about just the lack of or or hard it being really hard to watch JM MMA and Ryzen one the reason why we focus on them a lot is because they made it so easy through fight through EverSport uh, they made it just much more easier than having to go through some VPN and watch on a B, a Bima TV or three weeks later. All the fights get uploaded on YouTube, but you already know the results. I don't know. What do you think about but it being a week out before the show and really knowing nothing? I don't know. Do you do you think that's going to hurt uh, the interest in the show from people? Um, because, you know, given that, you know, people have to make time to watch the show. It's going to be at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., whatever. You got to get their money ready, especially now with the pandemic era. Do you think that this is this could hurt uh, the the this could hurt the show uh, from getting a, a good viewership? Yeah, so, shout-out to Jack, by the way. His piece went up today. He also talked to me for it. Knockdownnews.com. If anyone listening wants to check that out, I'm sure you can put a link to that in the in the description of this or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, he, he made a really, really nice 
uh, like compilation of different perspectives there from like all the different international fans. I mean, I think what's so interesting about the international fan base is that it is so geographically widespread. You know, you've got people from Europe, people from the US, people from like Australasia, Oceania, all those places. It's, it's really amazing. And we all, yeah, exactly. We all have to deal with the same issues in that it's a very unreliable, um, inconsistent information stream that we get. I do think that it hurts the ability for these shows to be promoted hugely because I know from first-hand experience that it's very difficult for me to recommend that people watch it without being able to tell them exactly how to watch it. So word of mouth is so important in how this stuff spreads and that's all of us partaking in that together. And, I'm, and as one of those people, like, yeah, I can't tell somebody, that like, oh, yeah, this fight's happening between, you know, so-and-so and the cards here and this is why you should be excited about it, this is why we're watching it. If there's no concrete platform time and space for them to actually go and tune in live, like, I can't do that because I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch live. So I'm less excited about it by default. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think the lack of organization on that, just the lack, lack of consistency. I mean, they are consistent in how inconsistent they are. You know, that's <laughs> Which uh, I guess yeah, we're almost we're almost Stockholm syndrome at this point to just roll with it, you know, at least in our very very core sector of the fan base. And I think it does it does hurt the ability for it to kind of branch out and expand because so many of the people. This is one of the things I said to Jack that made it into the article was so many people just don't have that level of patience or tolerance to be jumping through the kind of hoops that we have to to watch this stuff live. I mean, watching K1 live is just an absolute nightmare. No. and I will never stop. I will never stop going on about it. How inconsiderate and unaccommodating they are of the international fan base. Yeah. K one especially. Like we can bemoan rising all we want, but K one are just absolutely so like regressively like nationalistic about this stuff. And I have a whole kind of issue with just the way their entire organizations run on the basis of that anyway. So we won't we won't we have to get into that right now. But yeah, there is there is just a completely different standard that we have to put up with that most people won't even like waste thirty seconds on. And that's I think that's an unfortunate thing because that's gonna limit the international uh scope this, this stuff can ever have, you know, yeah. unfortunately. So one of the things I did tell Kariev fan when we did review the K-Festa show from this year, I remember they were running virtually unopposed that weekend, and I said that, that K-1 made one of the stupidest decisions in, to not have that on fight or, like, some sort of international yeah. platform seat on, because they, I guarantee, with the because they had Taku on that show, they, uh, yeah. people were dying for something, I think that show could have gotten at least maybe a thousand buys in the United States alone, uh, for just because every there are people who were starved for combat sports during that time. UFC wasn't running, Bellator wasn't running, Ryzen wasn't running. The K one was, was having that big that big ass show. That could have been that could have been their opportunity, and they totally squandered it. They do, and I think K one is so especially sad because their product from the start of the show to the end of the show is so good and so lean and so like fight focused and the fights are so consistently entertaining that I think it has a real huge universal international appeal in a big way and I've seen that with the COVID lockdown and MMA being shut down so hard we've seen so many more people get interested into into kickboxing and, and J-kick and all that kind of thing because the product is so good and yeah for them to, to hamstring themselves like that for I mean God knows why I assume it's got to be some Abima TV like international rights issue. I've got no idea. Maybe it's the fact that they don't actually own the rights to the K1 brand name outside of Japan. They rent it. They license the K1 brand and use it in Japan. 
you know, off the actual original owners of it could still own it, even though they're not active in the industry anymore. It's pretty crazy. So maybe that, that's the issue. There's just so there's so many yeah, uh, factors that we have to maybe think about as to why this stuff doesn't work in the logical way that we all think that it should, because it is so obvious. Because mm-hmm. we look at the product and we know how good it is. And we know that this stuff, it works for people. Mm-hmm. And the only reason it doesn't is because people aren't given the opportunity to see it. Well, if you also um, want to talk about the, just the whole Japanese TV spectrum and entertainment and bringing it overseas, I was just about to say that I know like when Crunchyroll started, that it was hard to get a lot of the big animes on the show. Um, but now, obviously, you got like the big things like Attack on Titan and My Hero Academia. So I know that like there's just this weird thing where like I don't know the Japanese executives just have like blinders on their eyes when it comes to international uh, things. Really, they do. It's yeah, it's it's that, and it's also like just a general I think lack of understanding of technology as well in Japan, at least at like a top corporate level, like in terms of the people that occupy the executive positions. I mean, there was a story that came out last year about the Japanese like. The, the, the chief secretary in like the Japanese parliament for cybersecurity admitted that he'd never used a computer in his life. Oh, I heard that story. And he's, he's like yeah. 72 years old or something. He's like in his 70s. And yeah, and like he apparently has his assistants always do the computer stuff or something. Like the guy's never pressed a mouse, a mouse button ever or, or, or a keyboard. Oh, that's it's so absolutely sweet. insane. So I think you're right. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination of an inward looking perspective internationally. You've got a load of rights issues with different broadcasters and then you've also got just like a general kind of technological ignorance in the people that make the decisions unfortunately <laughs> yeah um, but I do I do think to put a more optimistic spin on it as well I do think the movement is in the right direction it's just very very slowly mm. well I've always said this and there needs to be more younger executives instead of these old dinosaurs just basically stinking out the joint. Oh, I mean, in a perfect world, yeah, we'd have a we'd have a mass exodus of those kind of people. But all, what I'm reading is looking at what K1 are doing on their YouTube channel and uploading English titled and English dubbed commentated fight videos. A few months after the fact, it is out of date. I don't think it's the best approach, but it is something. It's something they weren't doing a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's just I'm just trying to read into what that means and what kind of more more like a bigger corporate initiative that might rep- represent. I think it does represent a very slow, a very subtle, but uh, a definite kind of widening of their perspective to the international fan base. Because they must be like, they've, they've got all the metrics. They're understanding where people are looking at this stuff from. They must be able to see that. I hope they do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now also, just going back to that article that we did talk about, I think they mentioned as well that this that the show would be delayed for international viewers. Um, I'm trying to see that where it is. In the art. Oh, it says here. Uh, it looks. Uh, this is from Kevin Evans uh, of Fight, and he said it looks like Fight will have the Ryzen 22 and 23 events on a delayed basis, like two to three days. And right now, there's nothing on the catalog. Uh, I'm curious to know, Luke, from your perspective. Um, if the shows are delayed, will you ha- still have any interest in watching them? Uh, yes, but absolutely no interest in paying for them. To me, that's just, like, it's 2020, that's completely unacceptable. I mean, I don't, yeah, exactly. So, Shingo's made this post that doesn't seem to be linked to Fight TV. I'm not sure if that's what he's talking about. And then Jack talked to the guy from Fight TV and got that information from him. 
I really, really, uh, double finger crossed that it's not going to be. I mean, you talk about tape delay, maybe 12 hours, 24 hours, multiple days delay. Like, for live sport content, it's not. That's absolutely unacceptable, in my opinion. That's not going to fly. Not with me, anyway. And not with a lot of people, I don't think. Especially if they're charging for it. Mm. I mean, you have to be kidding me. That's just... To be quite honest, I think that anything that's, you know, same-day delay, unless it ran on... I mean, like, for example, I watched a couple of boxing cards on ESPN Plus that later aired on ESPN2, like, hours after the fact. Like, there were two European boxing cards that aired, like on ESPN Plus in, like, the middle of the afternoon, and then ESPN2 aired them in the States at, like, 2 a.m. Eastern time. And that kind of... I mean, it's basically cool that it's the same day delay and all that stuff, because not that many people know about those European boxers and how they're doing. But it's kind of also disappointing, too, because... You know, you got fights on a streaming service, that's cool, but you also putting the fights on that streaming service and on the regular television network, like, hours after the fact, even though some people might already know the spoilers to it. But, still, I think it's kind of sad in this day and age, you know, nowadays, that we're still talking about tape delay, we're still talking about showing things days or months after a time considering the fact that as you probably I mean I don't know if you're familiar with American Sports Luke but there was a time when you know the NBA prior to like 1985 or 86 had games air not live but on tape delay like after local news programming and stuff yeah um, in the UK, we have a, we have a similar setup with football. In that, when the matches are played on a Saturday and Sunday, the most viewed broadcast of those matches. So there'll be like ten ten games played on either day, basically simultaneously, ninety minutes each. The most viewed broadcast of either of those day, sets of games will be the evening of both those days and the highlight show that's done on the BBC. So we still have that, but to me, that's, that's, that's the, yeah, it's very different in that we look, when you're looking at a seasonal league team sport, there's so much of that going on on the game days that there's no way for any one person to possibly be watching all of that live at once simultaneously. Whereas this stuff we're looking at are single events, pay-per-view events. Mm-hmm. And for me, yeah. it doesn't, yeah, I, I, can, I can see logically why it works for that kind of stuff. I don't think it works for this stuff in the same way. Mm, no, it doesn't. Yeah, and like I said, that's in 1985, man. That's like the sport of MMA wasn't around in 1985. Like this is, we're going so far back to look well, at. Well, on the contrary, the sport of MMA wasn't around for another eight years, and I think it was in Europe for another ten. But still, when it comes down to like. The 80s, the only MMA promotion you really had was Shooto, and they didn't even truly Shooto get was 85, yeah. Yeah, yeah Shooto. Exactly. Yeah, Shooto didn't get discovered until, like, 88. Before we go, well, I, but I think we can all definitely agree that, like, it's 2020, 
if they do have this on tape delayed, it's kind. You're basic. You're basically. Yeah, you're basically you're saying that your pay per view, your show is worthless. I mean, you know, if if your UFC would never have a, a delayed show. If you know, if it's in, it's in a country where you know it's going to be six a.m. with a fight. They will. They will. They will make sure that the time when it's live is applicable for people in the United States or at least internationally. Um, this basically, is, like when they have shows in Europe. And it's prime time over there. They make sure to show those shows at like noon over here in the states. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like when they had Fight Island shows, they made sure to, considering the fact that they ran things over there, they ran their own jurisdiction and stuff. They made sure to not, you know, BS around and show the shows at the same time they would normally show here in the states exactly exactly and it's just it's just a frustrating thing as fans because we do want to support the promotion but when the promotion makes it so difficult at time at, at, at times it's just like it's just like it, it's just it, it almost it's disappointment it's kind of like when, when you're when your parent is disappointed they're not angry it's just more you just, just the disappointment is much more it feels much more sad to that you we can't that we can't that it's that we're basically have these gigantic walls that are being put up and you know we're trying to knock them down but they keep sometimes building them it seems like building their own walls um but um you know hopefully hopefully this show will be available hopefully you know not tape delayed hopefully at a reasonable price as well and you know hopefully we can all watch live and and all that stuff. Yeah, cause there's even no Japanese. If there's no commentary or no English commentary, I'm fine with that. Would you be fine with that, Luke? If it was just like Japanese commentary? Oh yeah, absolutely. Please. I mean, I thought honestly, I thought Matt Stryker, for a guy who was doing solo commentary, which is notoriously hard to do, mm-hmm. for doing MMA commentary for the first time in his life, and for doing a commentary on an event that he wasn't in the room for. He was like Skyped in from a, a bunker somewhere <laughs> yes. in the back or wherever the hell he's at. Yes. I thought Matt Stryker did a really, really good job considering the circumstances. Oh, yes. Uh, he did. Uh, especially on like two or three days notice. Uh, and especially, yes. you know, ha- I, I definitely think that he did a lot better than he could have. If, if they do bring him back, I hope they have so, uh, like a fighter though. Like maybe by like... On his side or something. I, I don't think we're going to have Ferraro and Trigg, though. I think that the Ferraro-Trigg uh, era is over, as far as I know. Yeah, for obvious reasons. I mean, I even Trigg said it himself that, you know, it was more of a fight TV thing than a rising thing. Yeah, apparently fights was a... Uh, they were footing the bill for the hotel and the airfare and all that stuff. None of that was paid by rising. Uh, it was all through fights. And fight really? Just, yeah, that's why they gave this this interview for. Um, I'm gonna have to. Oh my, I, I forgot. It was an audio interview with Frank Trigg. But yeah, he basically uh, said that. Uh, oh, it was with. Uh, I think it was. Was it Michael DeSantis from uh, Body Lock? It may have been. I'll have to double check. I'll send you it after. Yeah, it, it was TJ DeSantis's little brother Michael. That was it. Yes, yes, and uh, yeah, Frank was saying that. Yeah, the, that fight TV was the one footing the bills for everything. They were they they were paying us. They were flying us over. Putting us in the wow. hotel room, and then, uh, yeah, Fight TV just said, you know, it's not financially viable anymore to do it. Yeah, that's re- okay. That's really surprising. But the impression that I've got is that it was Ferraro and 
Trade War Horizons commentators, and then Striker was Fight TVs. Mm. But if they were Fight TVs as well, then yeah, I mean, I think I can I can see why if they were looking at the numbers and the shows weren't doing the kind of buys that they wanted to, that yeah, they weren't going to be paying for two tickets out to Tokyo, staying in Tokyo hotels, which are insanely expensive yes. if you want a good one. Yeah, I, I can definitely yeah, see why they yeah, decided to downsize the shows. Oh, just to clarify, yeah, transportation and everything. Yeah, yeah. they were they, they are rising commentators, but I guess it seemed to be more. It was like kind. Of, it was just fight TV, like I don't know whatever agreement they had at Ryzen. Like we'll cover the bills, uh, or whatever for that. Um, it was a really fascinating yeah. interview. It's a really great interview that uh, like, like wow, I didn't. Yeah, it really opened up like the whole financial uh, uh side of uh, fight and uh, Ryzen. Um, but with that, yeah, being, that's really good. But with that being said, we got to talk about this Ryzen 23 card. Do you have the fight card up, Christian? Yeah, I'm really into this one. Yeah, so actually, I want to ask you... My arrival on this has been kind of delayed. I overslept, even though I couldn't sleep worth it down. <laughs> no worries, Christian. Um, well, Luke, my first question to you is, compared to the Ryzen 22 card, and we had uh, Fight Pros yesterday, what what do you think compared to the Ryzen 22 card and Ryzen 23? Because I told uh, Fight Pros that uh, I think the Ryzen 23 card is like, is like a gold standard, while the Ryzen 22 is kind of more like bronze. What do you think? Uh, do you have a preference for either one card, or what, is, what, what does it look to you? Yeah, I would definitely, I mean, if I had to watch one or the other, and they were priced the same, I would definitely go for the 23 card overall. I think the, um, like the balance of evenly matched fights is a lot deeper on this one. Um, I think with the 22 card, a lot of the fights... Are guys with names fighting guys with names, whereas this one it's fights that have like real divisional stakes and relevance going forward. Like the uh, the Saito Majima fight of featherweight, that's like a very very serious, well matched Japanese like regional level fight. I'm a huge fan of that one. I like both cards. I'm gonna be watching them both. Um, there's a couple of ones that really interest me on the 22 card as well, like the kickboxing debut of uh, uh, Yoshinori uh, Nadaka. I think the the, the Muay Thai. Monster, Olympian, Rajadamnern Stadium champion at light flyweight. I mean, that kid's absolutely incredible. I think everybody needs to watch his fight because he's 19 years old and he's about as skilled as anybody that I'm seeing right now in Muay Thai in terms of moving around from the outside and, and working like the left kick and the left knee together. Kid's incredible. I love that fight. Mm. Um, but I think on average, I'm, I'm more into the fights on the 23 card, yeah. Mm-hmm. Any any other fights on the twenty? If you had to pick two more fights that you're looking forward to on the twenty-two card, which one would you? Uh, besides the kickboxing match, which any other two matches that you would say that you're most looking forward to? I do like the um the other kickboxing fight with uh, Saiki uh, Ueyama against um, Ibata. Ibata Rui. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a really, really good fight. So you've got a guy from shoot boxing and then a the guy from Muay Thai. Um, that's a really, really good fight at flyweight. I'm really interested in that one. Um, the other fight, uh, probably, yeah, probably the Naoki Inoue fight. There you go, against Shuta Watanabe. That's a really, really good fight. Mm-hmm. Watanabe is like a crazy, like, credentialed, like, amateur wrestler. He was like a cadet champion or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, Naoki Inoue is like, yeah, like, just crazy, well-rounded, young as hell, super skilled, training in New York. Really, really impressed with him. His fight with Trent Gerdham, I think that's like... Nobody talks about that fight as one of the better like fights that there have ever been in Ryzen, but in terms of the, the pace that those guys pushed, the striking skills, 
all the the transitions and the phase changes that we saw in that fight, that was one of the best fights I've ever seen mm-hmm. in the organization. Both I do, those guys, I do win think, or lose, they were both so impressive. To me. I do think I do worry uh, slightly because since they are both grapplers, you ever get the you, you get those fights where two fighters are good, so good at something, but then it totally negates. They they don't do anything that they're good for, like MVP daily or like so, like. Uh, something like that. That's why I do worry that that... I hope the fight doesn't go that way, though. I really hope not. Um, no, yeah. The, the two grapplers having a bad kickboxing match is a, is a classic MMA trope, although I'm confident enough, especially in Naoki's striking skills, that whatever happens, that's going to be that's gonna be very, very watchable for all three rounds. Mm-hmm. And just to let you know as well, uh, he actually was a training in Japan. He, he went to Japan... Since all the schools up here in New York are closed, so, and he was training at Sonic Squad, so he definitely got a full camp, uh, a full fantastic, uh, full camp with the Sonic Squad, uh, Sonic Squad crew. Um, I think they're in Tokyo, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, so he'll definitely be uh, well trained for the fight. But uh, we gotta talk about this Ryzen Twenty Three card. Uh, and Christian, do you have the fight card up by any chance? Oh no, did we lose him? Oh no. He's on mute by the looks of it. Okay. So, um, well, I'll start off, uh, so, you know, we were talking about kickboxing before, and the first fight that we have is a kickboxing match. Um, now, uh, actually, one quick question I want to ask you about the, uh, Ryzen 22 card, that, uh, uh, Nadaka, uh, Eugene match. You know that it has elbows allowed. It's the first time ever in Ryzen kickboxing history that they're allowing elbows in a kickboxing match. Yeah, so... Both guys have got Muay Thai backgrounds, so I assume they were just both asked, right? You know how in the Ryzen MMA rules, they will let you use elbows if both guys agree to it. I think it's probably just what happened there. That's cool. I mean, in my opinion, it would be even cooler if they just did full Muay Thai rules. Oh, yeah. Because that's what both their backgrounds are anyway. But yeah. kickboxing with elbows is fine. Yeah, let's go. Have the music in the background while they're fighting and all that stuff. Just yes. Just, it should just be a, this is, it should be just a glorified, that match at least should be a glorified uh, Muay Thai bout. Um... Yeah, that'd be great. They can do like the you know the ceremonial dance to yes. the ring at the start. We'll see how many how many Americans fall asleep. <laughs> That's okay. gonna be a mini intermission right there, you know. Yes, but uh, for the first match, it will not be. Uh, it will probably be anything but a Muay Thai match, as we have a three minute three round kickboxing rules match, seventy three kilograms. Shintaro Matsukura taking on Koji Mori. And in case if anybody needs to know, uh, we'll send three kilograms. That is 160 pounds, 161 pounds, uh, exactly. And we got Masukura, who's from the Try Hard Gym. That's the one, uh, one. It's run by the Kawabe brothers, uh, Hiroya and Taiga. And uh, Mori is actually an MMA fighter who had his first kickboxing match uh, just last year. I think it was just last year. Let me double check on that date. Um, yeah, last year, which he won, uh, for Big Bang. So, we have a, the case of, uh, a, 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 a professional kickboxer. Uh, he's fought in Ryzen before. Uh, he's, uh, knocked out Takahiro Okuyama and has fought for Rise, uh, and many other promotions as well, taking on a guy who is MMA turned kickboxing. Um, just gonna read also a little bit of their, uh, what the uh, Ryzen brass have uh, printed out on the infographic that they have here. If I could just find it. Uh, I had it here on my computer and it just disappeared. 
Uh, ah, there we are. Okay, so uh, they write that Masukara has a technique and power to beat anybody in his weight class. Mori has a cannon of a left cross. Mori is a southpaw. And Matsukura can switch, which gives him more variations to attack. Look for a tense atmosphere, turn, uh, turning into hard explosive exchanges. And also, here are their records. Matsukura, 23 wins, 12 knockouts, 16 losses. And then Mori, uh, 3 wins, all 3 by KO and 1 loss. And uh, Matsukura is 5'10", 28 years old. Mori, 5'6", 31 years old. Uh, Matsukura is the former Crush Youth uh, Grand Prix uh, champion in 2012. Uh, and uh, Mori is a champion Z uh, and Zest, ZST. Um, and just quickly going to read what, they, uh, what uh, Mori and Matsukara said at the press conference. Mori said, I'm still new to kickboxing, but I'm excited for this opportunity. I will show you an exciting brawl. And Masukara has said uh, he may have transitioned to kickboxing from MMA, but I already see he's making excuses of the lack of kickboxing experience. I am confident in my abilities and I will put on a great fight. I know that everybody involved are risking things by putting on events, so I'd like to return the favor with my performance. Luke, uh, thoughts on this fight? Uh, and what do you? Uh, who do you think will win? What do you think about Mori? Uh, his chances being uh, MMA fighter going to kickboxing, and yeah, just tell us any thoughts about this fight. Yeah, so looking at this card, it seems like we've got not one but two deluxe edition kickboxers, kickboxing MMA guys fights, which I'm I'm totally fine with because they're almost always a ton of fun, and they have violent conclusions. Um, I don't think Koji Mori has any real. If, he, if Koji Mori won this fight, it would be a pretty considerable upset, in my opinion, because Masakura's only recent losses are to the, the 70 kilo rise champion Sung Kyun Lee, which is a very, very. I mean, 70 kilo is not the most deep division in Asia for kickboxing, mm -hmm. but that's a very, very serious, legitimate contender right there if, you, if you're winning the title in rise. Um, so that's the level that he's being able to be competitive with. An MMA guy with minimal experience, I do think Masakura should come through here pretty easily. Although, never underestimate like the degree to which the try-hard gym guys can just fail, unfortunately. Oh, that seems so, to be a... So right off Koji completely, but I would, I would, I'm definitely taking Masakura here as a big favorite. It's so funny you say that. It always seems that whenever the the, the try-hard guys are put in big stop, big big moments, big, big uh, opportunities, they just fail for some reason. It just seems to be a tradition for try-hard. I have no idea why. It just... Uh, as you're more yeah, of a, I think Heroya just set the standard, you know? Yeah, <laughs> he inherited, his brother inherited it, and it just, and, and yes. all the students from there just, they they absorb the, fail <laughs> the, the random failures that they get, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's fair to say, though, that, you know, I've always believed that when somebody goes into a, feel, a, a sport or a field that they're not an expert in, uh, they tend to usually fail. I think this will not be uh, any different. This should be an easy win for Matsukara. But as you said, you know, this, the tryhards just have that ability to... Tryhard factor. You gotta, you gotta take it into account. You never know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, Christian, did you unmute yourself by any chance? If you did, uh, who do you think will win this fight? Oh, he's, I think he's still muted. Okay. Well, uh, well... Uh, 
Um, what would, uh, are you, have you seen these two? Oh, I mean, are you probably more familiar with Matsukura, but have you happened to see anything of Mori by any chance? I haven't, I haven't seen anything of him, I must admit. Okay. Um, it, it's basically, yeah, it's, it, like we said, he only has one kickboxing match, which he won, you know, so we gotta give him credit for that, but, I mean, I don't know, how do you, how do you, how do you get, what's the best way that an MMA fighter can win a kickboxing match when he, when already half of his offense is, is negated like it's it's it i don't know if yeah. it's what do you say to that so do, i think i think going by his record his mma record the guy's a puncher he's a knockout artist that's almost all his wins are a knockout so as far as his mma skill set goes he is trending to be a pretty decent fit um i just think I just think on a, on, a, on a very base technical level, they're at such a disadvantage. The only way that I think they really have a shot is if they jump on the guy early and just try and get him out of there while they're both still like fresh and explosive. Yeah. Um, kind of like you know how Kid Yamamoto shocked Masato in the first round. Mm-hmm. He just rushed him and dropped him. Well, well, but for the rest of the fight, mm-hmm. when they settled into it, he got destroyed. Yeah. So I think I think that's really what he has to do if he wants to have a shot. It's it's KO one or it's kickboxing. Also, I think. Sometimes if you in a kickboxing match you gotta not fight like a kickboxer. You gotta almost kind of do like a ballroom, a bra, uh, like a ballroom brawl style, just to throw them off their game. Uh, it's yeah, it, 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 if you try to be too technical, the guy who's already technical in that field is gonna just easily murk you. You know. Um, yeah, I think that's how how Horiguchi did so well against Tenshin. Is yeah. that he basically fought that fight like he would be fighting an MMA fight? Yes. Yeah. He's, he's he's set such a long distance between the two of them, so much further than even the most pure kind of karateka kickboxers would ever think to do. He he kept so far on the outside and he and he fainted and he stutter stepped so much that tension just wasn't used to to fighting that kind of guy in kickboxing at all. I think that's why he struggled so much to find the timing on his counters. You mm. know? And I think for yeah, if you have the skill set of Horiguchi, that's workable. If you don't. Yeah, I think you gotta you gotta just get after them, make it ugly, make it a war, and roll the dice. You know, it's it's so funny that that that's probably has been the best crossover, like MMA, boxing, kickboxing, whatever crossover fight, probably since uh, Masato and Kiyamoto. That's how that that's how how small the field is when it comes to just, you know, how I think that's probably the yeah like I don't know the fight has been like that as exciting and that as competitive. Uh, when it comes to like these major crossover matches um, that I can think of, um, yeah, you, yeah, you don't, you just don't really see it as much anymore. Not since K One at the time that fight had such a massive talent stable of both kickboxers and MMA guys that they could do that, and they could do stuff like bring Melvin Manhoff over to MMA from kickboxing and, and mess around with it in that way. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very rare thing now, which is why that fight was that was so special, really. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're going to go on to the next match, which will be a bantamweight match. And for that, we have one of my least favorite fighters, uh, I have to admit. Uh, and that will be Yusaku Nakamura taking on Tatsuki Saomoto. Uh, 58 kilograms, elbows allowed, 5 minutes, 3 rounds. Uh, 58 kilograms is around just for... Our American listeners, it is around 227 pounds, uh, so catch weight, whatever. Um, and uh, for those that are paying attention, 
Uh, Tapology has Salmoto overwhelmingly defeating Nakamura in this match. A little basic uh, info about the two. Nakamura is 16-7-1. In Ryzen, though, he only has one win. Uh, he's lost numerous times to... Uh, he's lost Nasukawa in a kickboxing match, Manel Cape, and uh, Maka uh, Makato Shinryu in that Bellator slash Ryzen show. Um, the only win he has is against Tapnoi in a fight that I actually thought that Nakamura lost. And then his opponent that we have... Tatsuki Salmoto, 14-2, and two, mainly fights out of Deep, Zest, Brave, uh, fights out of the Brave Gym, uh, for those that uh, know, that is the uh, Miyata, uh, uh, Kazuki Miyata's uh, gym, uh, and uh, he's 23, um, Nakamura is 35, 34, excuse me, uh, height for Nakamura is 5'5", five five, while... Uh, Salmoto is five foot three, and also just to say as well, Nakamura uh, trains out of Team Alpha Male in Japan. Um, also, this will be Salmoto's debut. Nakamura is a former uh, Z uh, Zest uh, uh, bantamweight champion. Sorry, a deep uh, deep bantamweight champion, um, and is now fighting at flyweight. Um, I want to throw this to you, um, Luke. What are your thoughts on Yusaku Nakamura as a fighter? Well, I mean, I think you want to be careful with what you say because he's very popular, you know. I know. I don't know why. I, a, I think it's just like the smile. He's such a he's such a happy guy. I mean, he's never not sporting that, you know. And, and he has all the poses, and he's got like the the karate, and he's hanging out with uh, Yashibo Ishihara as well, you know. Like these guys, I don't know. They have their they have their uh, their appeal, their fan base. I guess, I guess, but when I see him in the ring, or, or when, when I see him fight, I see a guy who's just like, what is, am I missing, am I missing something? I don't know. Um, As to why he's here, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and especially if you want to talk about the smile, uh, hopefully he got his teeth fixed uh, from the Top Noi fight, um, or at least he got some sort of crowns placed uh, where his teeth were knocked out in that fight. Also, just forgot forgot to say as well that uh, Samoto is the current Zest Flyweight Champion and is riding a 10-fight win streak. Uh, I'm just going to read what they said at the press conference. Uh, nothing uh, really too important, but uh, Nakamura said, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'll put on a fight that never misses. And Samoto said he's happy to be fighting one of the biggest uh, dream stages. Uh, he's been with Mr. Uh, Miyata since high school, so I want to return the favor uh, of taking of him taking care of me, uh, I want to prove that I am the best in the division. And um, with that being said, what do you think? How do you think this fight will go, uh, Luke? Um, do we see Nakamura choke again on a big stage? Do you think? Oh, maybe the time off has been good for him, or do we see Salmoto continue that uh, winning streak into eleven wins? Oh, um, yeah, Salmoto's gonna do work on him three rounds I think um, shout out to the Brave Gym you know only just exclusively producing like the most buff like just intense wrestler dudes mm -hmm. he's totally in the line of that um, that heritage there like the guy's just so good in scrambles his instincts are so strong on the floor his win over Seichiro Ito um, a couple of years back was really really significant as like a Japanese regional level win like both those guys were like top top prospects and, 
and he won that fight, which is which I think sets him apart as like you know one of the best prospects in in the country um, in this weight division at flyweight. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to be way too much for Nakamura on the floor in transitions, just pushing a pace on him, doing kind of a similar thing to what um, Makoto Shinru did to him for three rounds, but I just think with a bit more aggression. Yeah, you know, I think he's a bit more. Um, He's a bit more likely to take risks with position, whereas Makoto is very much kind of a guy that just wants to hold you down and, and win the rounds and, and, and wear on you. Samoto is a, a much more um, kind of inventive scrambler when it comes to trying to snatch things and, and create opportunities for himself to end the fight. So I'm really excited for it. I do think Samoto is going to win 100%. Um, but I'm, I'm really happy for a guy who comes from a great gym and has such a great record on the Japanese regional scene to finally get that opportunity in Ryzen. I do think we're going to see this guy move up through the division pretty quickly. I think this time next year, we'll, we might be talking about him alongside the guys like the Kayasakuras and the, the Ojikubos, you know, at the top end of the division. Mm. I really, really rate what is going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching some of his uh, fights from uh, Deep and Zest, and I'll, I'll say yeah, he's an incredibly explosive guy. I don't know what gives him the power. Maybe those uh, tat. Maybe that uh, is the. Uh, I don't. It's like he is a, a very. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, that's a great uh, comparison to Shinryu, in my opinion. Uh, I think he has the tool, the tools to be a full fledged. Uh, he is a full fledged MMA fighter. That's the one thing I think that's mi- missing from Shinryu. We'll be talking about him later. Uh, but I think that's the big difference. That is is that Saomoto has mo- has just that extra killer instinct, that extra little fight IQ. To if if he sees an opportunity to finish, he'll take it, and I think that's what's missing from Shinryu. Um, uh, uh, if you've uh, seen any Shinryu's fights, he seems to be very hesitant or does not seem to see opportunities to finish. But Saomoto would definitely take that opportunity. Um, this is what the Ryzen infographic says. They say both fighters like to to blitz into their opponent. Nakamura blitz into in a throw combination, while Saomoto look for a takedown. Whoever gets the upper hand, the blitz. Exchange will determine where the fight will go. Uh, this will be a battle of keeping grounds. Do you think that this will be a uh, a fight that uh, goes all three rounds, Luke, or you think that this will be uh, uh, a finish for Salamoto? Uh, I think Salamoto can finish him for sure. I mean, if, if Manuel Cape can choke you out, I think Salamoto can as well. Um, I assume I think it will go the distance just because Nakamura is so durable. Like, as we saw again, it's top noise. Like, the guy got his teeth knocked out by a pretty pretty brutally hard-hitting um, Muay Thai guy. Yeah. And he went all three rounds in that fight against Tenshin. You know, yeah, he got finished, but he didn't crumble. He got, like, Tenshin beat the fight out of him. You know, the technical gap between the two was just too wide. Um, so I think, yeah, I think Nakamura's good for three rounds. He hasn't fought in a while. These guys are fresh. Um... Yeah, I'm really excited for it. If Salmoto gets a finish, awesome. I think that's just a great statement for his debut. Yeah. Um, I think you actually make a good point. Even though I'm not the biggest Nakamura fan, he is very durable. He can take punishment. Uh, pretty, 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 pretty tough. A uh, pretty tough and brutal punishment. But this is not his fight. This is absolutely not his fight at all. This is I on paper Salamoto should win. If he doesn't win, you know, I kind of I would definitely say it's an upset. Uh, in terms of of fight skill quality. And all that stuff, um, but I think we'll definitely, you know, we'll, with a, I agree with you. We'll definitely be hearing or hopefully seeing more of Salamoto as the as Ryzen tries to build up, you know, potentially a a, a new flyweight division, or I don't know if he'll he'll go up to a bantamweight just because they have 
much more fires there. Uh, what do you think? Do you think he'll stay, stay if uh, that Sal Mota would stay a flyweight for Ryzen, or would he make the bump up the bantamweight just because there's much more competition there? Yeah, I, I assume he'd, he'd go up to bantam. I feel like the vast majority of their bantamweight division anyway are just flyweights that are cutting less weight, which I think is fine. Um, like I don't know how many actual flyweight fights Ryzen has put on. I think Taki Sawyer's first two fights were flyweight, but it's pretty rare. It's most of yeah. the bantamweight. And I think that was. Um, a, I think so. I think wasn't that against? Um, I think that was against. That was against. Uh, oh my God, I forgot the opponent, but I think that his opponent was a strawweight who went up actually as well. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Then that makes it even more of an outlier. Yeah. Um. But, uh, yeah, it should be a good fight regardless. Really should be a good fight uh, reg uh, regardless uh, of the outcome. Either way, it's a 161-pound catchweight battle between Taito Bono, the shoot boxer, and Joe Makuku, who we did interview before, Andrew. Am I right or am I right? Oh, yes, you are right. You are right. Okay, let me go ahead and try to get particulars for this damn card, for at least this damn fight. Let's see. Do, do, do. Sorry. I'm kind of doing this on the fly. don't want to, you know, try and screw things up even further. So, um, yeah. 161 pounds, Kaito Ono versus Joe Lukuku. First of all, the particulars for our friends from the Congo. But the, from the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, actually. He's 5'10", normally fights at 170, sometimes fights at 155, sometimes fights at 145, but according to Tapology, fights at 170, so he's 5'10", 170 pounds. Age 27, born April the 17th, 1993, he can Sasha Zaire now since 1998, known as the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the same place where the bumble in the jungle happened. He fights out of the Honey Trap Gym in Shinjuku, Indo, Tokyo, Japan. He is a veteran of Gladshan, but he was the former Gladshan welterweight champion. He is also a veteran of Wardog Cage fight, Ganryu Jima, D, Mahamakuri, I mean Mahamatsuri, shootboxing, and, well... He's pretty much fought in all types of different combat sports, including lengthweight. And if he could have, he would have been in professional wrestling, too. <laughs> <laughs> now, for his opponent, who this will be the third time he's fighting inside the rising ring, Skyto Ono. He stands in at 5 feet 10 inches tall, at 177 centimeters, weighs in at 67 and a half kilos, normally for 149 pounds. Originally from Osaka, fighting out of Tokyo, he is obviously a shoot boxer. He is the 2018 shoot boxing men's S-Cup World Tournament Champion and the former shoot boxing lightweight champion of the world. This will be his third appearance inside the Rise Ring where he had a stretch of appearances in 2018, knocking out Uza Strong, Yoshi, knocking out Uza Strong, Yoshia Uzatsuyo at Ryzen 11, back on July 29, 2018, 
and defeating Sho Ogawa at the very next show in Nagoya Aichi, Japan at Vice 12 on August the 12th, 2018 via decision. So, now that I basically wasted my breath for the first time talking about these two fights, I mean, talking about these two fighters, who do you think will have the advantage in this? And no, Luke, I'm not going to say that Daryl Lukaku is going to win. <laughs> I'm just saying, well, who do you think is going to win? Uh, Luke, yep, uh, I'm going to pass those questions off to you. Okay, so I think this would be a good opportunity to bring up the fact that we've had a question come in on the Twitter thread from our very good friend, our very active friend, uh, Trashy Drake fan, who asked, what round is Taito going to finish Daryl in? And the answer to that is, of course, any round he damn well pleases. <laughs> it's the Kaito show, you know, he's here to do what he wants to do. He's got the long pants, he's got the hair, he's throwing knees up the middle, Throwing combinations to the head and the body, like doubling up on the uppercut. Like, he's got it going on, man, and this is going to be just a, a total Kaito showcase. I'm here for it. I love the guy's style. Uh, he brings it. He does lose fights every now and again in shoot boxing, but it's typically only against really, really high-level competition. Like, he lost to Chad Collins, but Chad Collins is one of the best bang uh, Muay Thai guys in the world, period. You know, and I think that was an extra round as well that they went to in shoot boxing, so that was a very close fight. Um... Yeah, so I've, I've got to go with Kaito all day here. But shout out to Daryl Lokoku, who's been in there in the battle mode in uh, Ganryujima, which is where we saw uh, Katsunori Kuno have like a mini career revival there, which was great. Mm. So shout out to the battle mode. Shout out to Ryuta Sakurai, the last guy he lost to, because he sent me a happy birthday message on Facebook years back. The former, I think he was, he fought Ricky Fukuda for the deep welterweight title a couple of times back in the day, and they had some wars. So. Yeah, I like this fight a lot. I'm glad to see Kaito back. I'm always glad to see shoot boxers. I'm a huge fan of the organization, the style, the rule set, everything about it's super cool. I really, really want them to come back as soon as possible with an event because of all the Japanese kickboxing promotions, I think they're the last one now still to announce an event because Knockout just put out a card, I think, last night that they're coming back with on September 13th. Rise have had events back. Crush is already back. Rising's now back. So let's get shoot boxing back. Let's get Kaito a win. And, yeah, I think this is going to be fantastic. Let's go. Well, uh, I... Uh, Andrew, your thoughts? You know, we did talk to Dalo Koku. He's very, very confident. I mean, I'll say this. At least, you know, he's not just an MMA fighter who's going to kickboxing. We can at least say that he, like... He's done other martial arts. Like we said, moat fighting, left way. Um, he's a judo champion. So he at least, you can, I would at least, and he will have the size advantage. And that's the one thing I want to know. How tall is he? Because, you know, if he was fighting at welterweight, lightweight, and featherweight, 5'10", that's big for at least lightweight and well, uh, featherweight, excuse me, divisions. But, and, and I think he will have the size. So, the fight's going to be at 73 kilos, 160 pounds. So either way, he'll still be big for that division. Yeah. Um, but, like I said, with, um... With the Mori, with the Mori fight, you're you're an MMA fighter going to another into another discipline. I'm sure. Yeah, I'll say this. I think that that Lukuku can at least put up a good fight, maybe better than Mori. But I think the chances are that it doesn't even make the second round. This is a fight for Kaito to win. And if he wins, if, if Lukuku wins in a kickboxing match against Kaito, then just shut it down because 2020. 
is just going to be the strangest year in the history of the world. So, but, yeah, Kaido has to win this. Um, he has to win this. And I, if he doesn't finish him, I would actually be surprised. But regardless, this is a fight for Kaito to uh, get, the, uh, get the win. How about you, Christian? Kaido breaking his leg while entering the ring. What what event? How would you if you were in uh, Lokuku's corner or a uh, part of his training team? What advice would you give him at all to prepare for uh, Kaito that could possibly help him win? Is there anything? Bono Taro, aka Chad Rowan, and Bob the Beast Sap. 
which of course is half one, and it's kind of surprising that he's two and zero and rising with him beating Osuna, Rashi, and Charm. But still, Rising on as well, right? Yeah, they they did it. They did well in Reina. Like I think it was maybe a mixed rules shoot boxing match. I think I don't know if it was full shoot boxing rules, but I, I seem to recall near like during before you know the fight TV era, they did a Reina did a shoot boxing type match in Ryzen. Oh, right, right, right. Because they did do two shoot boxing fights. One was with Reina versus a Brazilian opponent. That was I think during the Upper Sport era. That was it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but still, point of the matter is, Ryzen's history on shoot boxing, if it wasn't for those two fights, it'd be non-existent. Yeah. And I think that when it comes down to Makuku, you know, him trying to get Kaito to a shoot boxing fight, Kaito's already going to see that shit coming. So I think the best strategy for Makuku would probably be just to try and outwit Kaito. The best strategy for Daryl Lukuku would be to try and do all he can to outlast Kaito. Make him feel stupid in that ring. Make him feel like, you know, what the hell did I sign up for? Make him actually feel like he's going into a real full-blown fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, it's funny you bring that up, Christian, because on the the, uh, Ryzen infographic, they say that uh, Daryl wants to end the fight early before Kaido picks up the pace, and that's probably, you know, uh, Luke, we talked about this earlier with the first kickboxing match, that's probably the only way that Rukoku has any chance, uh, just to end the fight as early as possible. Don't fight as a kickboxer, just ballroom brawl it, you know, risk getting hit. That's like maybe the only, the only sl- sliver of a chance that he has going up against somebody like Kaito. Yeah, I mean, Kaito's... Basically, it's that old boxing strategy. Get not get hit. Exactly. Sorry, go ahead. I, I think, yeah, for a guy like Kaito, his style is he builds momentum in the rounds, right? He's not an explosive power puncher. He's a guy that breaks you down, that you know, hits, hits the meat, hits the legs, hits the body, yeah. and, and breaks guys down with attrition over time. So I think for a guy like Daryl Makoku, he's got to, yeah, make this short, make this chaotic. And try and hit him with something big early. Although Kaito's chin, it's been tested before. I don't think he's ever been knocked out. It's a tall order. And also, uh, best advice for Wakoku: watch out for the knees. Watch out for oh, those oh, knees, because yeah. they will come out of nowhere, and then you'll and, and then it'll either come hit you in the liver or in the chin, and you'll be like, "Wait, what? I got hit with a Kaito knee." Um, but yes, you know this should be an easy win. For Kaito, um, to uh, uh, to win this match and and ease, uh, probably finish it by probably round one or or maybe even two, I think at this point. Uh, Christian, you want to go on to the next match? Uh, it'll be the last kickboxing match of the show. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, MMA match. I'm sorry, I'm 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 dyslexic. Um, it'll be an MMA match. Pardon me.
26 years of age, born December 3rd, 1993, represents the reversal gym from Yokohama Ground Slam, fighting out Yokohama Kanagawa, Japan. He's currently riding a two-fight mixed martial arts losing streak. One of those two losses was back in April 2019 to now UFC fighter Manel Cape. So this will be his third appearance in the Rising Ring, in addition to him beating Cape, in addition to him defeating Kizai Monsaiga back at Rising 2017 in Yokohama, which was the first event shown on the Fight TV app and Fight.tv back on April 5th. That this man is the former, or I guess current, Grand Slam. No, this man is the former, or I guess current, ZST, Zest, Flyweight Champion of the World. In addition to that, he's fought for Grand Slam, Valley Tudo Japan, as a professional. And he's also had a grappling bout for Quintet. Actually, he's had a couple of grappling bouts. His most recent contest was a seven-minute grappling contest against Yuha Sebe at Zest 67 back on January 26th. And now for his opponent, Makoto Shinryu Takahashi, who made his Ryzen debut, I guess, on the Ryzen rules, on the Bellator Japan post lips. He's 10-1-1 overall, 5-4, pounds, all of 20 years of age, born on July the 5th, the 5th of July in the year 2000. He is originally from Miyagi, fighting out of arrest of Matsudo in... He's in Chiba. Fighting out of Matsudo in Matsudo, Chiba, Japan. Mm-hmm. He most recently competed at Deep 95. Impact in a no contest exhibition against Harul Ochi. He also defeated Yusaku Nakamura via unanimous decision in a fight that basically meant a lot to the deep lightweight division because, of course, Shibata, I mean, because, of course, Shinryu is the current deep end of the flyweight champion. I don't know if he got elevated to world champion or not, but he's the current deep interim flyweight champion. So we got the young man in Makoto versus the experienced man in Ichiro, I mean, in Seichiro, who's going to be fighting in his third rising fight. Any thoughts on who should win this? And do you think that the young man has a chance to rumble with? Oh, by the way, before I continue, I don't know if you did this or not in the prior MMA fight between Nakamura and Salmoto, but the topology faithful say that Makoto Shinryu Takahashi has Yeah, Luke, I'm going to pass those questions off to you, um, uh, Christian's questions. So, yeah, my first exposure to uh, Ito was that Saiga fight on the, uh, the Yokohama show in 2017, where he really, really impressed me with like just the, uh, the pressure grappling clinic that he put on Saiga. He just rode him for the entire fight, totally controlled him, worked through all the kind of positions, took his back. Dropped him as well in the first round with like a like an fake takedown to overhand right. Just really really impressed me with his with his overall like control and, and, and how comfortable he was uh, for every single round. Um, 
unfortunately for him, his career kind of just got slightly derailed from that point. He was out of action for a long time, I think, because he had chronic nose issues. Like his nose kept breaking, and he just wasn't able to get in, get through proper training camps for fights. So he took a lot of time off after that. We didn't see him. He's had a couple of losses since then, but to very, very quality fighters in Salmoto and Manuel Cape. So he's still young. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write him off. Uh, I do think that this fight is really, really hard to call because you're talking about two guys that, for the most part, have just shown total kind of grappling superiority in just about every single fight of their careers, which shows what they're good at, but it doesn't really show as much how they do when they're not able to dominate in that phase. Um, I think I've probably seen more from Ito in terms of his, his comfort on the feet and his ability to, to win striking matches. Um, Makoto Shinru, I mean, I love the guy's record in that every single one of his fights, he's had wins, he's had a draw, he's had a loss. Every single one of them has gone the distance, which I think is fantastic. I hope he keeps doing that just because I think that's such a funny um, continuity there through his record. And what that means is also is that the guy, in terms of in terms of round experience, minutes in the ring, he's actually way more experienced than he looks on paper because you have, you know, if a, if a fight ends in 30 seconds, that goes down as one win on your record, but if a fight goes all 15 minutes, that still only goes down at one as one win, but in terms of like all the minutiae that a fighter will go through for three minutes, gauging their energy, sustaining it, putting a game plan together and, and adjusting it as the fight goes on, there's so much more you can gain from that extra time spent, and he spent a lot, a lot of time in there, and his only loss so far is Kikatsumitu Wada, who's a very, very serious legit dude, and we all see him going, going there against DJ, mm-hmm. who is, you know, maybe pound for pound the best. And he gave DJ a pretty good fight. He wasn't dominated. You know, he took DJ's back for a while there. He gave him some trouble. So as, as far as Shinryu losing to him, I'm not going to mark him down for that at all. Um, he trains at yeah yeah. So he trains at the Matsudo gym with all the all the other really really good fighters like Ojikubo. Um, he also has been doing some kickboxing at, at the Teppan gym, Tension's place. Ah uh, yes, I saw that. On that yeah. As well. yeah. Yeah, which which is really really good to see. Um, He's not just trying to be the wrestler, grappler guy. He wants to. He understands that to get anywhere in the sport, you need to have the ability to win fights in every single phase. Um, so that's that's a really good place for him to be. As far as yeah, the topology split. I mean, topology. Half the people that pick on topology, they just go with what everybody else has gone with. Mm-hmm. So if it gets to a point where it's sixty forty for one fighter, most of the people coming in and doing picks are just going to keep picking the sixty nine. Eventually, it'll be ninety ten. You know what I mean? So it has a snowball effect where a lot of people are just following the herd. Um, in my opinion, this is basically a 50-50 fight. Uh, it's really, really tough to call for me. Um, I think I might have to just edge with Shinryu because I have a lot more faith in his the fact that he's been so active consistently ever since his debut. He's been just getting fights in constantly against a really, really solid, good level, level of competition in deep. Um, whereas, whereas Ito's been all over the place, really, you know, in terms of the level of competition he's been fighting and also the regularity that he's been in there with. So I really like this fight. I think stylistically it's fascinating. I can't wait to see when these guys start going through transitions and, and scrambles. I think it's going to be absolutely mad to see who can keep up with the other guy um, and who gets out on top in that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Really great high pace for all three rounds. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm definitely geeked for this one. I'm going to go with Shinryu, of course, by decision. Come on, <laughs> Shinryu, that's what, he, that's what he does. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to be enjoying all 15 minutes on it. I'm really, really into this fight. It's funny that you, you assume that it's going to go to a decision. 
uh, if Makoto's gonna win. I like that. <laughs> it's, it's, or, or lose or draw. I mean, lose oh, yeah. the guy's record. That's, and, you know what I mean? It's all I get, well, that's amazing. Ten wins all by, a, by, by decision. That's gotta be by design. That really has to, like, you, like five wins by decision? Okay. Ten, all of your wins by decision? That's, that has to be deliberate. You have to know yeah, what I you're doing. He, I hope he never finishes a fight ever. I, I, I really do. I think that would be great. He'll be the uh, female, uh, the male uh, Miyu Yamamoto, just ride that sh- that shit for for the fifteen That's minutes. Um, yeah. At least. Oh no, no, poor Ursa. <laughs> well, here's a question. Uh, what do you think Ito's uh, chances are? Like, what is what does Ito have to do to win this? Uh, is it basically just grappling, negate grappling defense, or is it keep on the ground, uh, keep up standing? I mean, and just just try to finish him standing up, uh, and uh, out punch him, out kick him, and that sort of thing. How do you think Ito can win? Yeah, I think what Ito has to do is to make Shinryu uncomfortable. So Shinryu is a guy who's basically all about. Closing the distance, creating a grappling exchange, and then getting a position of control from that. That's his MO. That's basically all he does. I think Ito has got to shock him on the feet with something unexpected, or do what Shinryu would do to him, to Shinryu. Basically put him on the back foot and give him a taste of his own medicine. Yeah. And I think, I think Ito's, it's got to make the experience count as well. So don't be afraid to be aggressive, because you've been in these spots more than him. You know, you've, you've fought better competition overall. You've, you've been in wars with guys like Salamoto, you know, really, really athletic, explosive, dangerous top prospects. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's got to go there and be the bully, be the boss, you know? I think also, it's fair to say, this is probably going to be Shinryu's second toughest fight. Obviously, the Wada fight is obviously his fr- the first one. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. It's probably fair to say, would you agree this is probably his second, the second toughest fight that he's going to have so far uh, as a professional MMA fighter? Yeah, I would I would put Ito over uh, Nakamura for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you is it possible that this that this becomes just a grapple fest, lay and pray fights? Sure, grapple fest. Yes, lay and pray. I don't think so. I think these both these guys are too. I mean, honestly, actually, in a weird way, you know what? If it is lay and pray, and it is Shinryu just controlling Ito, in a, in a, in a way that would be actually be hyper impressive. That would be like when Damian Meyer just mugged John Fitch off for three rounds and rode him. Because mm. you know that's a guy that is so well-versed in that theatre. To have someone do that to them against their will for that long, and if it's totally dominant, means that they, they can do it to just about anybody. I think that would be really scary if Shinri went out there and just Khabib'd um, Ito. Mm-hmm. So I, do, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the fight's going to be a lot more dynamic and back and forth than that. But if it does... Hey, I think that's a statement right there. Also, regarding the lack of finishes for all 10 of uh, Shinryu's fights, do you think that is a deliberate thing on his end, or he just doesn't know how to finish? Um, he's not at that level yet. Yeah, I don't think anybody in MMA in a sport that's as chaotic and dangerous intentionally doesn't finish guys to that degree. Because every single moment, every single fight is so dangerous. And the possibility for being finished is so deep and infinite with all the techniques that there are allowed to use. I think the guy's, yeah, I think the guy's skill set is just totally about grinding guys down. I think that's all he really focuses on. He doesn't really take risks. I mean, he's a very dynamic, like, transitional phase grappler, but he's not a guy that's, I don't know, going to, like, pull guard to go for an armbar or sacrifice yeah. position in that way. Like, he's very tactically minded. 
So I just don't think I think it's just it's it's the it's the, the chemistry and the combination of his skill set with his approach and just a bit of bad luck or good luck depending on how you look at it that's led to this this run of um, this run of decisions that he's had. But hey, long may it continue. I think it's a great meme. Um, I just wanna uh, Ito didn't say really in, anything interesting that uh, at the press conference. Just said he wanted to put on the fastest pace and greatest performance. Takahashi, here's what he said. He said that uh, I'm happy to be, to be back on such a big stage. Ito, thank you so much for becoming my stepping stone. I would like to show my new move, Super Special Stomping Stone. So, what could what what could Shinryo be even referring oh to? S- super Special Stomping Stone. Do we maybe get the first time that he finishes somebody and it's by soccer kicks? That would be awesome. That is definitely some nonsense that he's picked up from Tension, though, with Tension's thing of, like, you know, naming crazy moves yeah. and not allowed to show on Rising Confessions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh... Hey, if he's really got that in his back pocket and he wants to bust that out and it, and it works for him, great, I can't wait. That's, that's gonna be and incredible. Imagine we see Shinryu, like, uh, Wizard or Capoeira kick knockout Ito. Just breaks the whole streak with, like, just some uh, amazing... Like out of this world cartwheel kick finisher that he learned from tension. Like, oh, it would be that would prove yes. that twenty twenty is like the weirdest year where Shinryu gets finished of breaks his uh, decision streak. Wokoku knocks out Kaito. This would be the strangest year officially in combat sports history. I would have to say. Um, uh, Christian, your thoughts on this fight? Who? Do you, how do you think this fight will go? like he's been doing for all 12 of his fights I think that Ito will probably win this via knockout that's just my concern because I just don't think that you know you can have a respectable career and be a points fighter all your fucking life (laughs) I mean yeah Miyu Yamamoto does that to an extent but she doesn't know how to finish people worth the damn So I'm just going to read briefly with Those decisions, I mean, you may be an all-action fighter. You may look like a typical creator wrestler from a WWE video game. <laughs> but those decisions are going to run its course sooner rather than later. And I do think that if Makoto Shinryu Takahashi doesn't get his wits together and learn how to finish people, he will get finished himself. Mm-hmm. Just gonna briefly. I think that next Monday, August tenth, will be that day. Um, this is what the Rising Infographic says. It says this will be a, an action-packed fight with tons of scrambles and exchanges. Ito has the speed and variations, and Takahashi has the power stability. If Ito can create scrambles without being held down, the fight will be full of fun moments. I think, regardless, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, that uh, Ito Saiga fight that you mentioned before, Luke. I think. Well, this I think this fight could probably resemble that match the closest. Um, if uh, I'm hoping that's like that because they were was that the one where they were just like suplexing each other for three rounds? Um, Ito and Saika? No, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
Oh no 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 no! Who, who am I thinking? Of? Who am I thinking of? No, I'm thinking of the Ur uh, Ursan, Ursan, and Saiga. And Saiga. Yeah. Excuse me, excuse me. That um, was great. Where they were just suplexing each other. That was such a good fight. Yeah, that was great. I think Saiga, like, knocked him down like a flying knee, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna, you know, for this one, though, I think that Shinryu is, this is, again, sec his second toughest fight. And I think if Ito is smart, he's obviously not gonna fall for, he's not gonna get grappled and taken down if he did his homework, hopefully. So, I do think that this will go all three rounds, but I think Ito is gonna eke out a win this one. I think it'll be very close, though. I think we're, you know, hopefully we'll see some Shinryu bringing that kickboxing uh, uh, knowledge that he's learned of tension. But I think he's just taking on a much more well-rounded MMA fighter overall in terms of stand-up. Uh, and I think that's what's going to be the deciding factor. Um, I, if it goes to a draw, who knows? Yeah, uh, well, I wouldn't be surprised. But I kind of do expect this to get to be to go all the way to a decision. Uh, for Ito, possibly even a split decision, um, but it sh should be a fun fight regardless, hopefully. Um, with that being said, Christian, I uh, want to move on to the next bout, which is a another MMA fight. Uh, this time we're going up a little bit in weight. Yes, we're going to take things up a little bit higher, so to speak, but seven kilograms over. <laughs> Either way, it's a featherweight matchup at 145 and a half pounds or 66 kilos between Jin Aoi and Kotasu no face Boku. Anyways, the particulars for Aoi, A-O-I, by the way, 7-3-1 is his professional MMA record. Five feet six, hundred forty-three and a third pounds. Age twenty-three, born January the twenty-first, nineteen ninety-seven. He represents Shuto Jim Blows, Osaka, but fights out of Okayama, Japan. This will be his debut in the Rise Fight Federation, and he is a well-versed, well-trained, well-respected Shutoist. As in, he's fought the majority of his career in Shudo and actually fought for the Shudo featherweight title at one point. And his opponents, well, let's just say he's seen better days. Quan <laughs> Chol Park, aka Kotesu no Face Boku. 26 wins, 14 losses, no draws, with 13 of his four. With 13 of his 26 wins by way of knockout. He is also a one of three kickboxer as well. He's 43 years old. Born May 27, 1977, in Shizuoka, Japan. Shizuoka City, Shizuoka Prefecture. But he takes after his South Korean roots, so he's probably from Seoul or some shit. <laughs> Either way, he is currently riding a three-fight losing streak, has fought for one FC for the first seven years of the promotion, and was their first ever one FC, was the first ever one FC, or one, I guess, featherweight, no, lightweight champion of the world. In addition to that, he's fought 
three times in K1. Obviously, no, wait, actually, he fought probably four times in K1, but obviously mostly for heroes. He was their former lightweight tournament champion. And this will be the first time he's fought for a JMMA promotion that's actually worth giving a damn about since he fought on the first ever dream card back on March 15, 2008, when he lost to Georgia Hellboy Hanson via unanimous decision. But still, most glaring, he's riding a three-fight loser. He got slammed by the unstoppable warrior Christian Lee. He got choked out by... He got choked out by his little brother. Oh, damn it. What am I trying to say? He got choked out by Angela Lee's husband, Bruno Pucci. And he got knocked out by the Vietnamese-American striker from not too far from where I am in Louisiana, Don Lee, back on August 16, 2019. The latter two bouts were in January of 2019 with the Pucci fight and in December of 2017 with the Christian Lee fight. So he's coming over to fight. He was supposed to face off against Mikuru Asakura or Kai Asakura, I think, before this whole... No, wait, actually, I think he was supposed to face off against Yusuke Yachi. No, 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 Mikuru. Um, it was supposed to be Mikuru. Yeah, right, right. It was supposed to be Mikuru Asakura. But he's currently riding a three-fight losing streak. Do you think that Boku... If he wins this fight, will he get his wish to fight Mikuru Asakura? And also, if he loses, is it over for him? And before y'all answer that, I just want to say that the Tapology fan base has to 58% for Jin Aoi, with 79% of that percentage saying that it's gonna end the TK, it's gonna end in another devastating TKO loss. For the man known as No Face, who used to be Kid Yamamoto's right hand man. Oh, so, uh, Luke, I'll, I'll pass those questions off to you. Yeah, so we got potential uh, issues, but I don't really want to. You don't want to touch the surface of that, Luke? Uh, I don't want to even consider what that would end up looking like. Although, we think that's what we're going to get, because I do think both. So he is on a three-fight losing streak. It should be noted that that was very clearly one FC between him for their best prospects at lightweight if they take the reason out the door and the reason's old anyway. Christian Lee, Pucci, and Pan Lee, these are all guys that have got really, really good records. They're young in their careers, they're finishers, they're, they've got you know real special skills. They're not just random guys. Jin Ai is not any of those things or even close. Yeah, he's a young guy. He's probably got more durability innately at this point of his life just because he hasn't been through the kind of wars that Boku has for years and years and years in the sport. But, yeah, I think I think Boku should win here. I think that's why this fight has been booked. Mm-hmm. You know, Rising kind of showed their ass, or showed their hand, rather, mm-hmm. when they showed that they wanted to make this fight with Mikurasakura. I don't think they would jeopardize it too seriously with just kind of a... a a stay, a stay busy fight for Boku or just a fight to get Boku in the rising ring while Mikuru's healing up his elbow. Yeah. I don't think this has really been booked with that in mind. Um, I do think Boku's going to win here. He's, you know, historically he's been a very, very powerful puncher. Good hands. Uh, aggressive. Not as durable as he used to be. But, yeah, Jinai, I mean, the guy's just fought at a very, very low level. He's lost at a very, very low level multiple times. Um, 
Yeah, I've got to go with Boku coming in. I'm going to read what, what Boku... I'm doing it for Crazy P. <laughs> Obviously, Crazy P getting wins, you know what I'm saying? Because, obviously, losing Kid Yamamoto at that time was just, like, completely devastating for them, and I think everybody in the in the industry and in the culture, because the guy was just such a, a unique kind of rock star figure. I think we all, like, I think everybody misses the presence of, of him mm-hmm. so terribly. Mm-hmm. I really, really do want to see them do well. Mm-hmm. This is what Boku said during the press conference. I was supposed to fight Azakura, but I think the most important right thing right now is the fight. I know my next loss will be my last fight, so I will keep challenging until I get the Azakura fight. Uh, I uh, I keep motivated, training every day. Uh, was able to use this time in quarantine in a very good way. When you fight as long as I have been fighting, all my opponents will be younger. So I plan to teach these kids a tough lesson. And Jin Aoi didn't really say anything other than, you know, respect for Boku and all that stuff. Um, what do you think about this whole thing that he's saying that he's going to retire when he loses his next fight, Luke? Is it words? Is, is it, is he telling the truth or is this just another, you know, another, th- another th- uh, fallacy, uh, uh, MMA lie that a lot of fighters seem to say that my next fight will be my last fight or my next loss will be my next loss. Yeah. I mean, even, even if he does mean that, and I don't know that he does, I don't know if that retirement would even mean anything anyway, because, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that Crazy B was having to do, like, a crowdfunding um, initiative to keep the gym open. Yes, or yeah. at least keep the gym functional during during this phase. So it was very similar to when Heroya was taking those kickboxing fights on the Rise shows and on the Rising shows just to get some money coming into TryHard. Yeah. About a couple of years back, he was doing that. So, I mean, even if Boku did lose and did retire, I think that would be temporary at best, just being a fan of this sport for as long as I have, you know, to never ever believe that stuff ever. So yeah, but I, I don't think he's going to lose anyway. I think he's going to win. I think he's going to knock this guy out. Um, yeah. So I don't think we have to come to that. I think yeah. I, and then the Nikaru fight, which I hope Nikaru will be fighting the winner of the other top level featherweight fight on this card, which I know we're going to talk about in a bit. I would really like to see him fight that guy or fight um, the King of Pancrase at featherweight. Uh, Isao Kobayashi, who won his fight last weekend. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the situation is with him going to maybe to one FC because obviously one have got a some sort of talent sharing, uh, talent bleaching rather <laughs> agreement with Pancrase. So they also yeah, have a talent leeching. They also have a talent leeching agreement with Shudo too. <laughs> they do. Yes, they've got their they've got their claws well dug into the GMMA regional scene. So Kobayashi might not be an option there. I hope it's one of the two guys that are fighting later on this card. If it's Boku, then, you know, whatever. It ha- yeah, you know, it's do you, makes sense. Do you um, think if Mikuru wasn't injured, they were they would try to rebook that fight? Because that was a f- one fight that they did announce before the whole COVID thing for their uh, the follow-up show for uh, this year. Do you think they would have tried done the Mikuru-Boku fight uh, for this show? Mikuru was 100%? Uh, yes. Yes. Yes, I Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian, uh, what do you think about this fight? And uh, what, do you, what do you think the chances of uh, Boku getting knocked out by Aoi are? I hope it's not. A, I hope. I hope it doesn't happen. That's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> well, considering the fact that it's 58 percent for the Tapology fan base, it's not really that high, but it's still pretty high. But when you think about it. This may as well count as Quancho Park or Kotesu no Face Boku's last stand because 
Let's just face it. You just can't take any molasses. You just can't take any more beatings from top guys, whether it be in a hyperbolic division like the 1FC featherweight division, or whether it's in another promotion like Ryzen. Could have been the fact that this dude, you know, he hasn't fought, like I said, he hasn't fought in a JMMA promotion worth giving a damn about since the first dream show all the way back in 08. Oh my god, I can't believe that. But, yeah, but still, part of the matter is, I mean, I know I was wrong to basically tap on this dude and that he'll lose against Mika Rasakura, which he will. He will, believe me. But I do think that with experience, with the experience that Boku has, with the career that Boku has, it just pains me to see him take another loss. And that's why I think he's probably going to win this fight, be a finish in either the second or third round, because I think that it would just, I mean, him losing another damn fight would do a disservice, not only to him, but to the legacy of Crazy B as well, because... Obviously, yeah. I mean, obviously, Kid Yamamoto passing away was pretty much a sour note, not just for Crazy B, but for Asian MMA in general. And Contessa No Face Boku is the closest thing to Kid Yamamoto we currently have nowadays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I'm not saying that because he used to be the right hand man or anything, but I'm just basically saying if Kid if Contessa No Face Boku loses this fight, you can pretty much count the Crazy B team out. Unfortunately. Because, yeah, unfortunately, because this shit's crazy, and you got Miu Yamamoto stuck in Toronto or something. You got Ursin oh, wow. trying to fight for Huh? Or, or, or she's on uh, Guam as well, right? Oh, yeah, Guam. Right. She's probably on Guam, but she has Canadian citizenship. Yeah. Still, and then you have the, I was just gonna say yeah. you have the Yachi fight, uh, you know, and you, his his career or his his recent fights have been very all over the place as well. Uh, and he was oh, supposed yes, to, yeah. and he was supposed to, he was the, uh, the 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 prince of of Crazy B at one point. He was gonna be their next. He was gonna be the next big guy from there after after uh, after a kid. They that's that that was always my belief that they were. Trying to make him the next kid, um, and that that yeah. experiment unfortunately failed. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it failed when he lost the one FC title. <laughs> but still, point is, if Boku loses, Crazy B is pretty much finished because you got Yachi who's fighting on a high pressure card the day before. You got Miu stuck in Canada. Well, you got Miu stuck on Guam with Canadian citizenship, so she's holding a passport she can't use, which means she has to watch her son helplessly try not to get his ass kicked. Basically, you got... Uh, basically, Crazy Bee's in shambles right now, and if Boku loses this fight, they can pretty much go ahead and count themselves out Maybe. as a relic of JMMA past. And that's why I think Boku's going to get the win, not because of courtesy, but because of the fact that he hopefully could still fight worth a damn. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because he lost three straight, he still doesn't have a lot of fight left in him. Let's just hope that Boku does 
wants to turn into another Charles Crazy Horse Bennett, though. I think uh, Crazy B might be. Uh, I, if I were them, I start throwing all the money at Ai Shimizu at this point, if all else yeah. fails. Yeah, she's the, <laughs> the last woman standing. So it might be the last person standing at this point. Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, I think that Boku should win this. Uh, he should win. I think that's what Ryzen wants to happen. I do think that Ryzen wants to book this Mikuru Boku fight for whatever reason. I don't know why. Whatever. But I think they want. I I think they want to give Boku at least some sort of tests so that he beats someone who has a good record. Uh, and it, then somewhere down the line this year, I think they're going to try to do Mikuru Boku at some point. Um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not happy. That I think that they're gonna do that, but that's what they're that's what they're gonna do, and we can't. Uh, what what are we gonna do? You know, that's you know they put Mikuru in these weird fights. Uh, uh, for some reason they don't. You know, uh, and who knows? Listen, if, I, it, it, we can complain, but it is a preferable alternative to Mikuru getting his head knocked off by Floyd Mayweather. Okay, I'll I'll agree with that. We I will agree with that. <laughs> no, we don't know how lucky we are. Maybe. But who knows? Maybe, maybe um, uh, you know. Uh, I just hope uh, the the twenty twenty this twenty twenty year is so fucking weird. Jesus Christ. Um, but if we're gonna talk about boxing, I definitely we definitely have to talk about the next match because it is a kickboxing rematch, and we were talking about the try hard uh string of failures or earlier. Oh yeah. And so yeah. So we might see another try hard failure, but. We'll, we'll talk about that later, as well as uh, have another question from a Tracy Drake fan. But before we get into all that, Christian, want to get into the next match? Yes. And that next match is a rematch at 61 kilograms, 135, well, actually, 134 and a half pounds. And this dates back to Ryzen 13, back on September 30, 2018. It's the rematch between Tiger Kawabe and Kento Halaku. First of all, the particulars. First, for Mr. Kawabe. Tiger Kawabe is 5 feet 5 inches tall, 132.3 pounds, or 166 centimeters, 60 kilograms. Born August the 14th, 1996, age 23. He's originally from Aikawa, Kanagawa, Japan. But fighting at the Try Hard Gym in Sakamihara, Osaka, Japan. He holds a professional kickboxing record of 21 wins, 6 via knockout, 11 losses, and 1 draw. But unfortunately for him, he is currently 1, 3, and 1 inside the Rise of the Ring. His only win was a decision win over Hikaru Yai Punch Machida back at Ryzen 17 on July 27, 2019. His three losses in the Ryzen ring, uh, the, his three losses in the Ryzen ring, the TKO loss to Dallas Gomez for Helia at Ryzen 15, April 21st, 2019, and two back-to-back -back losses to Taiju Shiratori at Ryzen 19 via decision on October 12th, and at Ryzen 20 via TKO on New Year's Eve, his obvious draw was with Kento Haraguchi. And speaking of Kento Haraguchi, 
that's his opponent in his rematch. Ken Kawaguchi has a professional kickboxing record of 15 wins, 9 by way of knockout, 1 loss, and 1 draw. He stands in at 5 feet 9 inches tall, 175 centimeters, and weighs in at 139 pounds, 63 kilograms. Born April the 9th, 1998, he is 22 years old, representing the Kick Lab and fighting out of Nishinomiya, Hyogo, Japan. His most recent fight, his only rising fight, was that draw to Taiga Kawabe. But luckily for him, compared to the former K1 Japan champion in Taiga, he's managed to excel on the pro scene as well. He's currently the Rise 63-kilogram world champion and the former ASL featherweight champion. And he most recently defeated Victor Topanelli on the Rise on a FEMA show back on July the 12th, in addition to winning the Rise 63-kilogram world title against Hideki. Not Bolivian Hideki, but Japanese Hideki, back on January 13th. So, it's a rematch between two fighters who just want to beat the hell out of each other and remind everybody that their draw was a fluke. Any thoughts about this match? And if this fight goes to another controversial situation, get a third fight. Uh, Luke, I know you're the biggest tryhard fan, so uh, you must answer this question, those questions first. <laughs> oh, and uh, by the way, I just wanted to actually reiterate off that Try Hard is located, Try Hard Gym is not located in the Osaka Prefecture, it's in the Kanagawa Prefecture, Sagami Hanakawa, Japan. Please continue, though. You guys remember the first Tiger Kento fight? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it wasn't that good. No. It was very weird. Tiger didn't look good. Kento, I don't think we expected all that much from him because Tiger was so much more of a bigger name and a more hyped signing coming in from K1. Um, that fight was down at 59 kilograms. This is up at 61. So I guess it's another installment in the quest for Tiger to eat his way into back into a winning streak. Um, I don't think that's going to work at all simply for the fact that since their draw, Kento has improved a ton, and we've seen that with his results, and Tiger hasn't improved whatsoever, um, which has been a problem for Tiger ever since the ever since the fight where he got he got blown up by uh, Takaru, really. I mean, this is a guy who has basically just coasted on his athleticism and his incredible physical gifts for his entire career, and has never really, really learned how to fight. He's never learned how to close distance properly. He's never learned how to set up his shots. He's never learned how to, you know, slip and counter or pivot or, or, or mix it up or really put together like a solid fundamental skill set, which is what Kento Haraguchi has done. I mean, the guy's really, really putting it together now in his fights. He's a very, very uh, impressive kind of elastic kicker with both legs. He has a really, really deep arsenal of work that he can do from long range from the outside. And when it comes to being in the pocket, he's hitting head-body combinations. He's countering. He's really, really doing well there as well. So we've seen him blossom in his kickboxing career to put together a really, really impressive skill set. And we've seen Tiger just flounder. You know, he hasn't 
He hasn't made the progress that someone with his talent really, really should be making. Because I don't think that he lacks the ability to improve his skill set. I just think for whatever reason he hasn't. He either hasn't had the right training or just doesn't have the right approach and mindset. Maybe he just thinks that he can he can be the athlete, he can be the bully, and he can he can make big explosive movements happen and win fights that way because that's how he used to do it. So he's been training at tryhard. He's also been doing sparring at Tiger Muay Thai. But I don't know to what degree guys at Tiger Muay Thai are actually getting in real technical drilling improvement training or are they just going there to spar and get ready for fights. So I don't know that even going to a place like that with a ton of talent is really the best thing for someone like him who really needs what he needs is a proper head coach. He needs someone who's going to be able to break him down and show him exactly what he needs to be doing and build him back up on a, on a technical level to actually make him into a fighter with like a more definable style. Which is what he really doesn't have. His style is just being an athlete, unfortunately. And his career has just been very, very strange because even the fights around the draw he had with Kento that time, I mean, I saw both the fights he had in China. I thought he won both those fights. Honestly, over the three rounds, I thought he probably did enough to win both of those. So his record at the time was probably the worst. But he got screwed over by a Chinese judge and... Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you're a foreigner taking a fight in China, you know that, like, you've, you've really, really got to do something there to get those wins. It's very, very difficult to win close fights as a foreigner in China. Everybody knows it. And I think that's what happened there. So when I was watching the fights, even though they were going down on losses on his record, I was pretty impressed with what he was doing. Um, and then in the Sexan fight in Rise, I mean, Sexan's one of the best Muay Thai fighters in the world, period. Just incredibly durable forward-moving pressure fighter, just gets in wars all the time, was a massive favorite over Tiger. No one thought Tiger was going to win, and he didn't. But he put in a really, really good performance for three rounds. He had a really competitive fight with one of the best Muay Thai to kickboxing converts has ever been. I mean, Sexan's, I mean, you can just go down the guy's record. It's absolutely impeccable what the guy's done in Muay Thai. He's still the, I think he's still the Rajadamna, uh, I want to say super featherweight or super lightweight champion. Now at his age of 34, I want to say, with the kind of wars that he's had, it's absolutely incredible. And he won, a, he won a Kunlun tournament in kickboxing as well. So he went to China and won a tournament in China as a Muay Thai guy, as a Thai guy. So the guy's just, uh, I, I don't have enough good words to say about him. And Tiger went in there and put on a really, really solid, commendable performance against him for three rounds. He didn't win, but I came away from that having a better impression of him than I had going in. And then <laughs> he fights Talison Gomez Fajera in Ryzen and gets knocked out after dropping him in the first round. And that was the moment for me where I just realized that the lessons that he should have been learning, he just hasn't. And I don't think that at this point with him keeping the same setup that he's had this whole time, I don't see him learning either. And certainly not this being the fight for him to show that he can, because I think Kento's all wrong for him. I think from the outside, Kento's going to be able to frustrate him with his kicks. I think he's going to be able to counter him in the pocket, basically do very similar things to what um, Taiju Shiratori did to him, you know? Um, I don't think he's going to finish Tiger because Kento's a very, very like, tactical back foot fighter. He's not a guy that presses the issue that much. He's not super aggressive. He fights with high output, but he's not sitting down in the pocket and trying to bomb on guys. You know, he's, he's a he, he, he pecks, he probes, he probes, sorry, he prods, and he picks away at guys. And I think that's what he's going to do for three rounds against Tiger. I thought he won the first fight as well, to be honest with you. But I expect him to do a similar thing here, but just far more effectively and, very, and get a very, very clear uh, unanimous decision win. I think with the first fight, it was like a glorified sparring session. So I can't even recall, like, it's one of those fights where, like, yeah, maybe one other fighter won, but, like, to me, it, it was, like you said, it was a very boring fight. When it comes, uh, Taiga, 
I, you know, that 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 the Sexon fight was interesting. I think he only lost that because he probably. I think didn't he get like knocked down once or something? I believe. I'm trying yeah, to... I, my memory on that is pretty pretty vague, but yeah, it was it was a very very competitive fight. Yeah. Um, the problem you see here's the thing I've learned with Taiga, is that, well, one thing he is good at, and that's that overhand right. And that's the one that he remember when they first Shiratori fight that he knocked Shiratori down, and and like he kept on just throwing that one move that entire time, and he is really good at that. Problem is against going up against Kento Haraguchi, and you know after watching his fights after the first draw that they had and rise, Kento Haraguchi is on to uh, quote uh, Ghetto from uh, New Japan. He is on another level than Taiga. I don't think Taiga has anything to answer for, for Kento. Uh, the, Taiga, I don't know what... Like you said, I think he's just an athlete at this point. That's all he's coasting on is the fact that he is just a good athlete. He can just... He can go three rounds, you know. He's not... He doesn't... He do, I don't know... What, and I know that one... And it was so funny. After that fight, I don't know if you remember this, Luke... Um, Taiga was saying that if after I beat Kento, I want to challenge Tension. Do you remember that? Yes. yes. That was what Rise wanted to happen. Yeah, yeah, that was the build. That was what was supposed to happen. And I Rise. wonder again if if this is Ryzen just trying to find opponents for Tension, and they're desperately just trying to, because I think they were hoping that Taiga was going to beat Shiratori, because then they can use that as, okay, you beat uh, Tension's training partner. Now you can go fight Tension. So I'm wondering if this is another way for Ryzen to just find a way to shoehorn a Taiga tension fight. What do you think? I think if that's their intention, then this is a terrible way of going around to getting that to happen because these are like he's fighting elite championship level kickboxers in these fights. Like this is this is such a tough fight. I mean, I think if they, if they wanted him to get a tension fight, they would. I think they could have him fight like three guys that are like Hikaru Machida level. Or three MMA fighters, if you just wanted to get a few wins. I think the, this fight and the Shiratori fight, like, he was never supposed to to even be in that first Shiratori fight. The fact that he was able to, to land a big bomb in the third round and hurt him really badly and do well enough in that spot for them to book a rematch after he got completely shellacked in the first two rounds. Remember, he gets a knockdown in that third round, which would make it a draw if Shiratori only just won the first two. But Shiratori dropped him twice in the in the first round. Yeah. Like Shiratori had already been absurdly dominant already, and on like a base technical level, he was way more of a match than Tiger ever could be for him. And the rematch was made because Tiger had that moment of success because he's a crazy athlete and he can make crazy stuff happen and he can explode into things and catch guys off guard. And the, the third and, the, and their rematch just went like the first one did, except Tiger didn't have that moment. And he just got destroyed, and yeah, he got stopped because he got kneed in the head, and his head got split open. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I expect that's going to happen here. You know, he's fighting guys with deeper skill sets who can adjust, who can learn from experience, and he's just unable to do that. And at this level, yeah, man, these guys, these guys are going to mess you up. Haraguchi's so good, so so skilled. Um, I think we're going to see a clinic. Mm -hmm. uh, Christian, thoughts on this fight? I, I mean, I really don't know if we did an original podcast prior to the first fight, no. but, you know, I think that we were 
the fight ended in a draw, correct? Oh yeah, anytime a fight ends in a draw, it's just like for a draw a draw has to be literally equal. Like equal amount of punches, equal amount of kicks. So rarely, I, I, you know, that's the one thing I'll, I'll say I don't like about JMMA is that there are so many draws on so many records that, where there should not be. And that's also the reason why I don't like even rounds as well, because even rounds, you're more likely to get a draw. But, yeah, the, the, that first part. Did you part, see, uh, sorry, sorry, I mean, did you see Kitaioka's promotion show this week? Yes, uh, I, I saw the results. I saw the results. Oh, that was so good. Everything, if it's not a finish, it's a draw. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, Brawl, uh, Brawl the uh, Guam promotion that Rocky Martinez uh, uh, does is the same thing, uh, same way as well. Um, the whole... Uh, last fight, yeah. Yeah. Um, by knockout, yeah. But Christian, going back knockout to you... Knockout or the submission in the case of the Brawl International promotion. Yeah. But still, point of the matter is... I don't see this fight going to a draw this time around. I don't see this fight going to the draw for the simple fact that now they have matured, or in the case of Tiger, I hope he's matured. <laughs> yeah, you're hoping for because, a lot. Because to quote Rick Patino in regards to him saying Kevin McHale ain't walking through that door, Robert Parrish ain't walking through that door, and Larry Bird ain't walking through that door, if he loses another damn fight, if Tiger loses another damn fight, Tiger Kawabe ain't going to be walking through that door against Tension Nasukawa because if he does, he's going to be beaten down, bruised, and made to get knocked out. <laughs> because I think that when it comes to Tiger, you're expecting a lot from him. You're expecting him to face off against Tension Nasukawa. You're expecting him to revive what was left of his old K-1 glory. You're expecting him to headline some big-ass show with him, well, co-headline some big-ass show with him and either Tension versus... Who, who the guy, who the other guy was they talking about fighting him? Um... Koji? Huh? You talking about Koji, the new signing? Well, not just Koji, but there was another guy that they brought to see Tension fight. You mean Otakaru? Yeah, Tension oh, Otaku. Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, they brought Tiger to be a part of this big martial arts festival at the Tokyo Dome, or at least that was the plan before this pandemic hit us like a ton of bricks all around the world. But if Tiger loses this fight against Kento Haraguchi, or if it goes to another draw, I don't see him getting any more big opportunities, even though twenty, even though your mid-20s is basically too early to say you're a draw, I mean, you're a watched-up has-been. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're picking uh, so, Kento to win? Hell no. I'm picking Tiger to win. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. But only out of courtesy. Because if Tiger doesn't win this fight, it's like I said, he might as well go ahead and pick a different career. He might as well go ahead and think about getting out of combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke, uh, we have a, uh, a question that you kind of answered, but I'm still going to ask it out of courtesy to Trashy Drake fan. Will this be the start of Tiger's winning streak? Oh, my God. <laughs> why, why do I have to even... Oh, Jesus Christ. Um... <laughs> 
gonna. I can't. I can't even muster up the like the energy to make like a sarcastic joke about how this could be the start of anything for him. It's just. It's just such a tough fight, you know. Unfortunately, and what's even weird, so much weirder about it is the fact that it's such a high weight, like sixty-one kg for a guy on his frame. Like his frame is not that much bigger than tensions. No. He's fighting like. Yeah. Nine pounds, eight or nine pounds up from when tension's at. Tension put a barrel down at 56 kg and made the weight easy. Ugh, I just, yeah, whatever. I mean, Tiger's still a big name. He was the K1 champion. He won so many big fights there against, you know, like, the Urabe brothers and Koji and all these kind of stuff. I think he's going to continue get to get these opportunities. Because mm. even after he lost to a guy like Fahera, who is way below the level, of a Shiratori or a Haraguchi. He's still got another one against Machida. So, we are going to continue to see him to do this, I think, on, on Rise shows and Rising shows for, for the time being. Um, but I, I just, yeah, I don't foresee this ending well at all. Um, I'm going to read what Taiga and uh, Haraguchi both said at the press conference. Taiga said, I have been training and have been ready for any offer, and I'm happy that Ryzen is getting back on its feet. I live in the fight business. I will show what I live for and why I do it. I think I am the best shape of my life. I am a totally different fighter than my last fights. You hear that a lot. So I agree. Um, Kento Haraguchi said something very interesting, though. He said, I'm very honored to be getting the offer, but I want to make Ryzen regret they didn't call me up earlier. I fought my opponent before, but now he's turned into a YouTuber. I know I am better than him. I will dominate. Any thoughts on those oh. two? Those, those two statements, <laughs> Luke? Well, I mean, I don't know if, like, turning into a YouTuber, that's almost like a career upgrade at this point, considering yeah. how many uh, J-Kick and J-MMA fighters are hopping on that train after Mikura Sakura secured that bag, that bag of the century yeah. on YouTube. Please, My God. J-Kick and J-MMA fighters want to try and be, like, the next Jake Paul. Nah. Hopefully not that. Hopefully not, not like, J but yeah, I get what you're saying, Christian, but, uh, Go on, go on, Luke. What do you think about what these two, uh, what their two statements are at the press conference? Any, anything that you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Haraguchi's attitude because, like, he seems like he just wants to fight. He's been really, really itching for it since the whole lockdown period. He was appearing in a lot of videos with, you know, um, uh, Ren Hiramoto, yes. the, the K1 guy who's now doing MMA. Like, he's been, they've been hanging out together. I think they trained together as well. And when um, Sakakibara posted that big tweet a few months ago kind of just almost calling out for help from anybody to, to give Ryzen some direction during the lockdown period. He was one of the guys from outside the organization along with Koji, interestingly enough, and this was before he'd, he'd signed he was one of the guys from outside the Rising umbrella, even though he'd fought for them before, he is a Rise fighter. He's their champion, he fights on their shows mostly you know, Rise loaned him out to Ryzen he was one of the guys that basically said to, to Sakakadara, give me a call, I'm ready to go give me anybody and yeah, I love that. And now he's here, and he's getting a big opportunity here. I mean, I think these shows, especially fighting a guy like Tiger, who has that name, I think these shows are going to get a lot of attention from people. Mm -hmm. Because Ryzen's come back, and the kind of high-profile signing that they made with Koji has got a lot of attention from people. You've seen on their YouTube page, I'm sure, the kind of views that they're getting for their press conferences right now. It's the highest that they've ever had, outside of the Mayweather fight. Like, attention is all-time high right now, and I think these shows are going to do super well on the pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. And... I think he's, yeah, he knows he's got a real opportunity to go out there and, and put on a, a really, really great performance against a big name and get that, that stain of that draw uh, totally like erased from his record as well. I think that would, that would definitely be good for him. I'm just going to quickly say Tiger has no chance. 
Sorry, Taiga. Sorry, Tryhard Jim. Sorry, Hiroya. You're going to see your brother get knocked out by Haraguchi in the first round. That's what that's. I'm putting, <laughs> I'm putting a stamp on that. And then we're, oh. we're going to see that Taiga will get two or three more chances in Ryzen and Rise just because that seems to be tradition right now. And watch, watch Taiga knocks him out. Again, we see a, 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 a 2020 thing where he knocks out Haraguchi in the first round. And then yeah, the Tiger bomb. The Tiger, the Tiger. Bro, honestly, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Don't. Obviously, we're making all the logical, rational arguments here based on you know the, the evidence and what we know. Never count out, you know, the chaos of the universe in 2020. Exactly, exactly. And then he goes on the Tiger goes on to face Tension and knocks out Tension in the first round. Oh and, God! At yeah. a New Year's it Eve was, show. Tiger was the protagonist all along. Yes. <laughs> just in like the downswing of his arc you know before his rebirth yes that would be something uh with that being said christian let's move on to the next mma fight and before you do i'm just going to mention this is the one mma fight on the card on the trend 23 card that has no elbows allowed and how many fights on this total card rising 22 and 23 have no elbows allowed uh besides the kickboxing matches only two the main event from 22, and then this fight. Okay, just checking. Either way, it's a 66-kilogram featherweight fight of 145 and a half pounds between the Rebel FC champion, Kazumasa Maijima, versus Takasaito. First of all, take a look from Mr. Maijima. He... He's 5 feet 7 inches tall, weighs in at 149.9 pounds, 28 years old, born October 16, 1991. He represents the Mori Dojo, M-O-U-R-I, and fights out of Shunan, Yamaguchi, Japan. He has most recently fought in time race. He's actually riding a big, huge one-of-a-kind 12-fight winning streak that stretches all the way back to 2014. August of 2014, by the way. <laughs> he is the 2015 Shiro Infinity League Finals winner. He is a former Kulin Fight veteran who most recently, I mean, who most recently fought for that promotion at Kulin Fight MMA 16, a.k.a. Australian FC 22 in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia on October 28, 2017, in which he choked out, or actually in which he, yeah, choked out Luke Jones. And more recently, he won the Rebel FC featherweight championship over Rodolfo Marquise Denise back on April 29, 2018 at Rebel FC 7. In addition to that, Choked out Taiki, choked out Taki Hamasaki at Shuto Torao 22 back on July 1st, 2018, and most recently fought against UFC veteran Issei Tamura back at Pancrase 305 on May 26, 2019. It'll be his first fight in over a year. But his opponent, Itaka Saito, has fought a lot more recently. Saito has a 17-4-2 professional MMA record. He's 5 feet 8 inches tall, weighs in at 144.6 pounds. He is 32 years old, born October the 8th, 1987, in Noshiroshi, 
No, wait. Nofuro City, Aikita, Japan. Representing Professor Koiwa, fighting at Akasushika, Tokyo, Japan. He is a veteran of Shudo, obviously. He is the former or current Shuto featherweight champion of the world who obviously lost to top-ranked competitors like Isao Kobayashi and Mike Grundy. But he hasn't fought in a professional MMA bout since September 29th. Since September 22nd, 2019, when he knocked out Street Fight Bancho Hiroyuki Takaya in 77 seconds. He most recently competed in Quintet at Quintet Fight Night 4, defeating, well, losing to Pride FC veteran Daisuke Nakamura back on November 30th, 2019. But still, this is a fight. Oh, and I know, by the way, he's the former Shudo lightweight champion as well, but this is a fight that's going to really put a lot of asses in seats. This is a fight that hopefully will give Majima a bigger platform to fight on. So all I got to say is, who do you think is going to win? I know that the Topology fan base has the 88% for Majima, with 73% saying that he'll win via submission, but who y'all got in this match? So, for me, this fight is really almost the platonic ideal of what a rising MMA fight with two Japanese competitors should be. It's two guys who have become champions in the regional organizations, Saito in Shuto and Majima in Rebel FC, coming together on Ryzen and fighting in a champion versus champion kind of fight to see who gets to progress on the big show. I really, really love it. This is the kind of the concept to me that it was always about that Ryzen was originally set up to serve with international promotions as well. Although the amount of cooperators that they wanted to have was never really fully realized because promoters are obviously more interested in protecting their talent base and serving themselves than they are for, you know, coming together to put on a special event like this. But I think with the with the talent base that they have available to them right now in Japan, I think this is exactly the kind of fight that we should all be wanting to see, and I really, really am interested in it. Um, Majima is your basically your pure Japanese submission grappler. Um, that's basically how he wins all his fights. Saito is a bit more of a well-rounded guy. He's seen a lot more, I think. He's been in there with some really, really tough competition, like Mike Grundy and Kobayashi, and he's beat guys like um, Takeshi Inoue, who is a very, very skilled striker. Carl Uno, of course, an absolute legend, former champion in Shuto. Um, and almost very close to being a UFC champion. Remember that rematch with BJ Penn? I still think he won, went to a draw. So he's, he's been in there with some absolute legends of the sport, never been submitted ever in his career. And as far as I can tell, Majima, that's really the only way he wins fights. He hasn't really shown like, much of a diversity in skill set in terms of his ability to actually use those to control fights and win fights outside of the realm of submitting guys. So... I'm going to go with Saito here. It's not a super confident pick because I haven't seen all that much from Majima. But I do want to err on the side of the guy that's more experienced against a higher level of competition. Yeah, he's taken more losses. But these are all losses, split decision, majority decision. He's going the distance with guys with really good records that we've seen go into bigger shows and do very, very well in. And he's also never been fallen victim to the only, almost the only way that, that, as far as I can tell, that Majima is able to win fights like this. So I'm going to go with Saito with the win. I love this fight. 
I really, really want to see the winner of this fight go on to fight Mikuru. I think that's, 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 that's where Mikuru, if he's not able to go to Bellator and start to fight their featherweights, or, or Bellator aren't going to send any more of their featherweights over for him to beat up, like they did with John McCapper. I think these, this is how you build opponents for Mikuru to fight, to make him interested in fighting, because he's obviously spoken about the kind of distractions that he's had in life and the insane success financially and you know commercially and personally that he's seen on YouTube. He needs some. He needs some real, real tough tests in MMA. I think to get him to refocus, and this is how you do it. You get champions from regional, regional promotions in Japan. You match them off. The best guy is the guy that fights Mikuru. I think that's the way to do it. I think that's exactly what they're doing here. Regardless of whatever's happening with Kitetsu Boku, that's obviously the wild card in, in terms of Mikuru going forward. But I think this is what that fight, this fight, is building towards. I'm really interested in it. Um, I think it's probably going to go all three rounds. I'm going with Saito to win. Um, but I would not be shocked whatsoever if, if Majima grabs an arm, grabs a neck, and, and shows us why his record is as good as it is in terms of getting submissions. And I think that would be that would be great. Whoever wins, I hope they look good. I hope they look dominant. I hope it's a good performance and we get Mikuru in there with the winner of that fight, either on the September show or maybe on the one or two December shows that they might be doing. But yeah, def- definitely a fan of this. Definitely looking forward to it. I'm just going to add as well to Majima. Uh, he has a 93% finishing rate. All of his fights but one have been a finish. 12 subs, one knockout, and one decision. And his one loss was a split decision. I didn't see that fight, but you never know with a split decision what happened. I th- it, this is definitely the, the most MMA fight. Like If you want to talk about a high-level MMA fight, I think this is probably the, the highest besides the, uh, the title match. Uh, uh, and maybe the co-main event. Like this is the one I'm most interested in, because it this definitely will sh- will will whoever wins this should definitely be featured more in Ryzen's now featherweight now having a featherweight division. They should have whoever wins this be like part of that featherweight division. Yes, they should fight Mikuru. If you know you know they should just skip the Boku thing, but I don't think they're gonna do that. Uh, imagine if they do the winner of this versus Boku. <laughs> I think that's yeah, but I, I do absolutely agree with what the observation you just made of how high of a level this fight is and how high it is placed on the card. For two guys that are both making their rising debut to be, what is it, the third fight from the top? I think that's pretty yeah. uncommon. Yeah, the tri main event. Yeah, for two rising debutants, I think that basically speaks volumes to where they're trying to position this fight in terms of the context of the division they're trying to build. This has got some serious implications going forward, and the winner will be. I think, in one of those big spots, for sure. Christian, uh-huh. what do you think about this? Who do you think wins? And if you, uh, how, how do they win? Well, I mean, it's like you said, Andrew. Majima has a 93% finishing ratio. But, come to think of it, what about Saito? What's his finishing ratio like? 35%. Four knockouts, two submissions, 11 decisions. Four losses. Oh. I don't see this one lasting too long. I'm going to say Majima wins this, but only because of the fact that he, considering the fact that he won a promotional title from outside of Japan, obviously Rebel FC is based out of Hong Kong, which is in, you know, the crazy-ass country of China. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, they want to build up on these stars who have international experience. And Majima's fought in China, in Australia, and places like that. 
submission, and I'm thinking, no, it actually, probably win this fight in your first or second round submission, call it in, and count on Ryzen to push him to the moon, and hopefully, when the time comes, he'll face off against either Boku, and put his ass out to pasture, or Miku Rasakura, and have another big money fight, well, have a big money fight for the first time in his career. Hmm. Uh, uh, have either of you got the seen uh, Majima fights by any chance? I seen a little, you know, I seen a little bit of him in that one Rebel FC fight. I seen him against Rodolfo Dennis Marquis. Luke, did you happen to see him as well, or no? No, I haven't. You know who he remind? The way that he grapples, the way he just smothers his opponents. I'll, and I don't say this very often. He actually reminds me of Khabib. It's not the same wrestling style, but the terms of what he does to get the person down into the ground and hold him down to the ground is very Khabib-like. And I think that's going to be the deciding factor is if as soon as Saito, if Saito gets taken down to the ground, I think it's over. I don't, I th- it's going to be, it's going to be very hard for Saito to try to get back on his feet. I think, I think this is going to go all three rounds. I think this will be this will go into the third round, but I think Majima is going to submit Saito. I j- there's just a feeling that I think that Saito, you know, as the rounds go on, uh, that this guy that this guy is just gonna is just gonna smother him, and then when Saito is tired, he's gonna let his guard down and get taken down and get submitted. I think Majima is gonna win this, and we're going to. Hopefully, see down the road a Majima Mikuru fight. Um, this is not to say that Saito is not a good fighter. He's a, as we said, he's the Shuto featherweight champion. But I think that Majima is uh, is a much better fighter. That, that, uh, you know, Rebel FC champion is good, but I think he's a way above that from what I've seen of his fights. And I think that Saito is going to have a lot to deal with when it comes to Majima. Um, he, the thing about Majima as well, he's short. He's five foot six for a featherweight. That's pretty short. But the, he is like, he kind of is like, he's a short, stocky guy. So it's, he kind of has like a little bit of that uh, Darren Wynn kind of like Cormier body where he's just, he's kind of like mixture of fat and muscle, but he's got that farmer strength as well. And I think Saito's going to have a lot of problems just dealing with that, with just that strength. And just that pressure overall, and I think he'll get some in the third, third round. Um, understood. Understood. Want to go on to the co-main event, Christian? Because this is going to be the fight that I I think I'm look uh, one of the other fights I'm looking forward to the most, and I think it's going to be an exciting fight. Yes, let's go ahead and talk about the co-main event because I know that we're getting close to the end of this card, so we might as well finish it off with a couple of bangers. It's a bout at 61 kilograms, 134 and a half pounds. That's going to decide the second in the bantamweight division in addition to the main event. It's Mamoru Ui Full Swing, U-O-I Full Swing, versus former deep bantamweight and flyweight champion Yuki Motoya. First of all, the person that we just recently talked to, He's 5 feet 4 inches tall, 134.7 pounds. He's 35 years old, born June the 15th, 
Montoya get the win with 60 of that 87%, saying they want to see a win via decision. For Montoya, of course. Oh, Luke, I'll, I'll pass those questions off to you first. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that it's only in the 80s that I think Montoya's going to win, and only in the 60% that are going to say decision. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm talking, we're talking 90s minimum Montoya, and I think he's almost certainly going to be submitting full swing in this fight. I do like full swing a lot. I love the gimmick. I love the power punching. I love the uh, the fighter profile image that he's got on Sherdog and topology of holding the bat. I think that's just a very funny kind of literal representation of his style. Almost up there with, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of uh, Yo Saito in Shuto, also known as the guillotine. Mm-hmm. And he literally, when he goes to a weigh-in, will wear a model of a guillotine on his head like the French Revolution-style beheading device. And he loves to get guillotines in fights as well. It's just one of those things that only in Japan do you see fighters that have this much fun with their own kind of personality and their and their um, their attire and their nickname and all that. I really, really do enjoy that. I also enjoy Yuki Matoi's walkout. That I'm glad you referenced Christian. He goes hard with the... Uh, with the Lose Yourself, it is one of my favorite walkouts. It's up there with Damien Meyer always coming out to Numb by Linkin Park, <laughs> just because it feels so, so weirdly inappropriate for the kind of people that they are to be walking out to kind of um, kind of dumb bro hype music when they're both really kind of um, shy, reserved, quiet, like smart submission grapplers. It's just always funny to me that we see that, especially just because walking out to Eminem is not very common, obviously, in the trashy UFC, but seeing it go on in, in GMMA as well is just such a funny juxtaposition. Um, exactly. Matoya, yeah, so Matoya's losses, his losses to Victor Henry and Ojikubo, both insanely close fights that he could have won, I think. There are arguments there. Victor Henry, I think he was winning most of that fight and he got caught with a head kick in the third round, very nearly knocked out. Henry just shaved that one. And Ojikubo, you know, I mean, those two guys just knocked the absolute stuffing out of each other for three rounds. It was absolute mayhem. In that fight, Matoya throws a jumping double scissors kick to Ojikubo's body at some point. He literally, I mean, I don't, he's just making up as he goes along. He fights in such a high, high-paced style, constantly throwing push kicks to the body, front kicks, um, so aggressive, so confident in his chin because he can take a hell of a punch and he pushes an incredible pace as well. So I think even on the feet, full swing hits very hard. He's got a record of a puncher. We know he can do that. I would be surprised if he knocked Matoya out. Matoya's just incredibly durable. He's in great shape. Um, obviously, he has a massive advantage on the ground, technically. I mean, Matoya's, Matoya's grappling game is so so sneaky, so good off his back. I mean, I, I, remember, I remember first seeing him being really excited about him in the Alan Nascimento fight back on the uh, the New Year's Eve 2016 show because he was fighting like a big, strong Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. And Matoya just showed so much craft on the bottom with his escapes and his sweeps and his ability to like win back positions after he lost them. It was just one of those performances where you just remember a guy after that because it's so, so impressive to have that kind of ability. Um, always been always been a big fan of him. He's the king of deep. He's been the deep bantamweight champion for God knows how long before he lost the title to Victor Henry. Um, lost that fight to Patchy Mix, but we got to remember Patchy Mix did grab that rope in the first round. I'm sure both of you guys noticed that. Yes, and Patrick Mix is a, is, a, is a monster anyway. I mean, that guy, when that guy fights Sergio Pettis, he's going to do the same thing to him as well, trust me. So, Patrick Mix is one of the best bantamweights in the world. Guys are free, huge for the division, insanely dangerous submission grappler, especially early on. So, there's no real shame in that kind of loss to me. Um, I do like Matoria in this fight. I think he's going to finish it. I think he's probably going to dominate, really. I think he's going to take Oi full swing out of his element. 
put the grappling on him, put the pace on him as well. Um, yeah, I do think we'll see a win here. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, Yuki Matoi doesn't have boring fights ever. Justin Scoggins, he hit the, the TP choke on him. I mean, I've never seen that before in an MMA fight ever, before or since in my life. Just so so much uh, like depth of skill in weird areas Matoya has. And he has the durability and the pace to just make it fun and, and action-packed all the time as well. So, go Matoya all the way. Big fan of this fight. Big fan of both these guys. These guys are just so perfect for the promotion, you know. Both such different characters, such different styles. Uh, I love it. I'm kind of surprised this this high up on the card. I thought maybe they'd want to put like the Ito Shinru fight above this, or maybe the the Tiger fight, maybe. Mm. But I'm cool with it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Do you? Uh, I'm do, very excited for it. Do you think that that Matoya will set up a takedown to to get a submission, or do you think do you think he's going to try to do a Fedor Verdum thing where he? I think that Wordham didn't get knocked down. I think he faked getting knocked down mm. to get to uh, get Andrew, the... I think you mean Verdum, yes. not Wordham. Sorry. Um to uh get that uh to get that uh that, that triangle choke in there, triangle armbar choke. Do you think that he'll do something like that in this fight? Try to bait uh full swing to thinking that he got knocked down and then uh. boom, go for a submission that way? Just a, a story about that TP choke that he got on Scoggins. Apparently, he claims he just saw that in a YouTube video. He said he was just w- looking through grappling uh, submissions on YouTube, and he said that that was the one that he wanted. That's the one that he just well, he wanted to tap out Scoggins with. That's awesome. That's perfect. Yeah, that's so him. Also, it's yeah. also strange. You know that Christian. You know we always read the the, the where the people or the fighters train from. You know that he actually has no gym affiliation at all. He does train at like random gyms, but he has like no, he's actually unaffiliated. So basically, he's a freelancer. He's basically a freelancer, which is I find so fascinating. And yeah, like there's no, there's or not Ronin. Yeah, Ronan. Yeah, not a lot as much is known about him. He's a very reserved guy. Like the most we know from his from his uh the Rising Confessions video is that he's got like a wife and child, but. Other than that, there's not that much that's known about him. He's kind of he's a he's a very like reclusive figure in Japanese MMA, despite being around for so long and having so many high profile fights. Like even outside the ring, he's like a fascinating person, just because we don't know a lot about him. Yeah, one thing that I I did find out this week from um, Daisuke Sato's Instagram story is he's great at doing uh, uppies with a football. <laughs> like oh super yeah, like he was he was he was balancing on like the back of his neck and doing all that kind of trick stuff yeah so the man has layers you know it's, it's really really interesting he is an enigma do you think that he has any chance at all to knock out full swing or is this just, or he's just gonna look to submit the uh, full swing uh, in this fight yeah I mean 
Montoya is many things, as we've established. Power Puncher is not one of them. He's not. I don't think he's knocking full swing out. But you know, if he did, awesome. If he starts to just like sit down on punches and throw like just like heavy like Dutch style combinations and knock the guy out, I mean, nothing would make me happier than to see him do that. What do you think the odds of the odds are that full swing? Who has only one submission win in his uh, entire career? Would uh, can submit Matoya? Uh, I'd be very, very surprised. Twenty um, twenty strikes again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you know what? Maybe that is that is what I'm falling victim to here. Is just not taking into account the fact that if it if it, if the twenty twenty law, which is if it's unlikely to happen, then it absolutely will. So yeah, I mean, yeah. Let's say. Uh, uh, full swing, you know, like hurts Matoya. Matoya dives in and just wraps up like a guillotine or something, and then chokes oh, him that out. Would, I mean, that would be the biggest irony. That would be. That the... would be shocking. That would be incredible. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know why I think of that. I think Kenji Osawa, who we all know is he's never short for words because he does all that commentary work for One FC. I think even he would be uh, absolutely dumbfounded if that happened. Yeah. Um. So what would you tell? So basically, for full swings to win this, basically don't go down to the ground. Keep it standing up and defensive grappling. Is that basically what, if you're Kenji Osawa, is that what you tell full swing? Or trans- yeah, exactly. Yes, 100%. You've got to minimize those grappling exchanges, work in spots, line up big punches, and don't yeah, don't be too aggressive and wade into anything because, I mean, Matoya's, yeah, exactly. So he's so diverse in his ability to just start a grappling exchange from anywhere, kind of like Maya. Doesn't matter where he is, he's comfortable. Especially when full swing's not really a grappling specialist either. Um, this is just, I'm not going to lie, this is a really, really hard fight for, for full swing, just on like just a basic skills level. I think the levels between them are just pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And, and formulating any kind of game plan for him to win, it's looking it's looking like that's a tough that's a tough road to navigate. I don't I don't envy uh, a Star Wars position, to be honest. I do, but, you know, one of the things I love is that when styles make fights, we got two fighters that are the polar opposite. They cannot be any more different. And that's... 100%. And yeah. those fights... Can you can sometimes be like the best fights because yeah they're ne- they're, re- they're rarely rarely uninteresting because the dynamic is as you say so opposed yeah um so Christian what do you think about this uh, uh you you uh, you think Matoya's got this in the in the bag or you think Full Swing's gonna get the gonna get a flash knockout or something along those lines you know we interviewed Mamoru Roy Full Swing. I think a few days ago, as of this recording, right? Yep. And would you say that he was ever so confident in wanting to fight Montoya? Oh, yeah, he said that. He said he's going to behead Montoya. That was an exact word. He says, I'm going to behead Montoya. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's another thing to... It's one thing to say that when you know you've got another person talking for you. In this case, it was Hirotaka Nakata talking for him who also fought for Pancrase and wishes to fight for Ryzen one day, but still, it's one thing to have somebody talking for you and saying that. It's another thing in, in its entirety to say, hey, you know, I'm going to beat the shit out of this guy and make sure that he walks out looking disfigured. I mean, I just don't get that, to be honest. But, you know, to each their own. And when it comes down to... Montoya against Full Swing. I think Montoya's going to have that experience factor ahead for him as an advantage for him because, of course, 
Ryzen. He's going for win number four in the Ryzen Fighting Federation out of his eight contests that he's been, even though really that F-frame fight should have been a loss. Luckily, the judge, I mean, luckily the scale saved his ass on that first show. <laughs> but still, I think Montoya is going to be full swing, but not by knockout or submission. I think this is going to be a crisp, clean five-round fight. I mean, three-round fight. And I think that these two are just going to go balls to the wall. And I think that Montoya will finally break his losing chains and eat out a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh... It's a tough fight. It's a. I think it's a tougher fight to pick because they are so both skilled at what they do, and it's when when a fight like that happens, it's you know it, it's it, in case of full swing, it's a you know one punch and that could send uh, Matoya looking up at the lights, or you know you know Mat- uh, full swing bends his head down a little too far, Matoya jumps in for a guillotine and and, uh, and puts him to sleep. But, you know, I think in terms of the overall MMA fighting sphere, I do think that Matoya is much better in that. I think uh, I think you made a good point, Luke, that Matoya has a lot of durability. We saw that especially in the Ovi Kubo fight, uh, where he did took some, some pretty nasty punches uh, from Ovi Kubo and still managed to, to still be standing. Um, I hope that fight didn't knock off any... any, any uh, any health on his chin, you know, any stamina on his chin uh, that we might see in this fight. Because uh, I do think that full swing is a m- much harder but not proficient striker as Okubo. But I think, I think Motoya, I think by the third round, I think he's, gonna, he's going to have full swing frustrated, kind of just throwing all over the place, throwing all over the place. And he, he's, he's going to somehow, he's going to take down, uh, he's going to take him down. And I think he, we're going to, I think I'm going to predict a head and arm choke from uh, from uh, Matoya to get this win and uh, start to slowly climb back up the ranks for uh, in Bantamweight. But regardless, um, I think this is all, this is going to be a fantastic fight. I think it's a great fight on paper, stylistically great. I'm so excited for it. I really am. I hope uh, and everybody here as well is. So, you know, definitely looking forward to it. But with that being said, Christian, we got to go to the main event because this is... This is for this is for all the uh, for all the beans for all the beans as they say. So you want to take it away? Yes. Let's go ahead and talk about this main event. Let's go ahead and talk about this three round by five minute main event to crown the third ever Bison Fighting Federation Bantamweight Champion of the World, Kyle Sakura. Versus Hiromasa Ogikubo. First, particular for Hiromasa Ogikubo, the former <laughs> Shudo World Champion, the former UFC Ultimate Fighter finalist. He's 5 feet 3 inches tall, 133.6 pounds, 33 years old, born April Fool's Day 1987 in Kuji Iwate, Japan. He represents Arresta Matsudo in the style of Kyoko Shin Karate, fighting out of Matsudo Chiba, Japan. 
He holds a professional MMA record of 20 wins, 4 losses, and 2 draws, and is currently riding a 3-fight winning streak and a bit of a career renaissance. Because, of course, as you all know, he is the former Judo Battleweight Champion of the World. He is a veteran of shootbox. He fought Kiyoshi Horiguchi not once. No, wait, actually, he fought Kiyoshi Horiguchi not once, but twice in his career. Of course, I did mention he was a part of the Ultimate Fighter Season 24, lost to Tim Elliott in the tournament finals before Elliott himself lost to Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. But yeah, he's the shootout flyweight champion of the world. And he's currently buying a rising record of two wins and one loss. That one loss coming to Kyoji Horiguchi, but he had to really pull through deep. No this I mean, no pun intended. He really had to dig down deep to get those wins against Yuki Motoya and Shintaro Ishibatari. Both via split decision. The Motoya win at Ryzen 17, the Ishiwatari win at Ryzen 20, and now here we are at Ryzen 23, where Ogi Kubo could win his family back, could win his reputation back. Oh, Christian. Kai Asakura. Oh. Huh? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Shit. Damn thing kind of messed up, but still. Point of the matter is, Kyosakura, 5'8", 134.2 pounds, 26 years of age, born Halloween 1993, fighting out of Triforce Jiu-Jitsu Academy, Toyohashi, Aichi, Japan. He holds a professional MMA record of 14 wins and 2 losses, and he is currently 6 and one inside the Ryzen Fighting Federation ring with TKO wins over Kizai Monsaiga, Kiyoshi Horiguchi, which shocked the MMA world, and a broken jaw KO over Yuta Okasasaki. In addition to decision wins over Man LK, Balong Sakurai, Top Noi, Tiger Muay Thai, and Jehun Moon, avenging his then only loss. But he lost on New Year's Eve to Manel Cape, who has since gone over to the UFC and vacated the title. And he most recently got a win. He most recently got an exhibition win on some weird pro wrestling show that he documented on YouTube. <laughs> in a win over Atsushi Saito via, via 24-second rear-naked choke. But still... For Asakura, it's revenge. Well, actually, for Asakura, it's hopefully a second chance at the title. For Okuba, it's career redemption. And the typology faithful are saying another thing, as they're saying that 77% are wanting to see Asakura win. Most of that 77% are saying that they want to see Kai Asakura knock Hiro Masa Okikubo the fuck out. But as you two are going to be more focused on this fight than anything, I sure will as well. Do you have any thoughts about this fight? If Okikubo wins,
Eric and Theo would be more Gucci. Or if Asakura wins, same thing. And if this fight does go to a controversial... Well, actually, no. This fight ain't going to end controversially. But who do you think will be next, aside from the Montoya Full Swing winner, to face off against the winner of this fight? Should international borders open up by this time next year? Look. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have I have so many thoughts about this fight. Um, it's a weird fight, matchmaking wise, because it's it's one that's just come come about through just a series of very very unlikely circumstances. I think <laughs> with Horiguchi's original injury. Well, first of all. Horiguchi losing in the non-title fight to Asakura. Horiguchi then having to get surgery on his on his busted knee. Then Asakura losing to Manel Cape, who vacates the belt and signs to the UFC. I mean, it's just been such a turbulent time in, in the bantamweight division ever since Asakura landed that just picture-perfect counter-right hand on Horiguchi. Um, man, it must have been about this time last year. Um, yeah, and kind of just shook up the world with, I think, probably the biggest upset in the sport that year. Um, nobody really thought that was going to happen. Everybody knew that Asakura was good, but we just knew that Horiguchi was great. And to see a guy of that level get rumbled like that was really, like, I was I was absolutely shaking physically while that was happening. I can remember it very vividly because it almost didn't feel real. It was so unprecedented and stunning. Yeah. And... Since then, you know, we've seen Asakura have some troubles. We've seen some of the issues and the limitations with his game that we we always knew that were there, kind of rear their heads again in the Manel Cape fight when it comes to real sloppiness in the pocket, hitability, not really having the kind of defensive responsibility and habits that you need to have if you're going to be like a aggressive power puncher in this weight class. You know, you've got to you've got to have some kind of defensive system there, be it slipping, parrying, blocking, or having a really really tight, nice guard going to be wading in against guys like Manel Cape and surviving. You know, it's just very, very difficult. And technically, his striking, as devastating as he is offensively, is really, really super shaky defensively. And for a long, long time now, he's lived off the fact that he's had a very, very good chin and he's, a, he's been in great condition. He's been able to, to recover if he, if, he, if he got hit by a big shot. He got caught napping by Cape, dropped with a short right hand that he walked into, and he got finished after that. I think as a wake-up call for him, I think that's that's exactly what he needed to kind of go back to the drawing board and really retool his striking from the ground up. He's working with uh, Takashi Uchiyama, the former WBA featherweight champion of the world in boxing, a very, very experienced, legitimate, credentialed world champion, very technical fighter in his prime as well, did everything very, very nice and compact. Um, so I think that's the kind of tutelage that he's going to need if he wants to like solve the issues that his, his skill set has had. Because I think, in terms of skills... I think Ojikubo is the better fighter than Asakura in almost every single area. I think Ojikubo's striking is just a lot cleaner and nicer and more compact. The way he counters to the head and body, he throws in nice combinations. He is he has proactive slipping and rolling and parrying on the counter. He um, he just has a lot more, I think, depth and wrinkles to his game that we saw in the, uh, the Ishibatari and Matoya fights. You know, he's he's a guy that pushes the pace and gets in wars, but he lives in the fire. And he's, and he's totally comfortable in the pocket and absolutely getting into striking exchanges with guys because he's so so nice with it. He's so slick, and he can hit counter combinations and mix it up and pressure guys and set up his takedowns that way, which is how we saw him beat Matoya, was 
was occupying long enough in the striking to set up a takedown and get top position and win some time there. And it was a very similar thing against Ishibitari. I mean, both those fights, I think the Matoya fight and the Ishibitari fight, I think they are number one and number two fights that we've ever seen in Rising, period. And I think they're absolutely up there with any fights that I've ever seen in the sport of MMA, period, the thousands that I have seen over the years. I put those two alongside any. I think they're the two best three-rounders that I've ever seen in terms of the pace that they both pushed, the technical level on every single phase, the different areas of the game that we saw them all go through, I think. And, and just like the, the straight-up violence and dramatics on display, um, just absolutely incredible contest. I think Kubo is... I think he's won everybody over in, as a guy who only has three rising fights. He's not really super tenured in the promotion in the way that Kai Asakura is, who's been around quite a bit longer. You know, Ojukubo walked into the promotion straight into a title fight. He didn't work his way up because he'd already proven himself to be a Shuto champion and going into the ultimate fight. making his way all the way to the final against Tim Elliott and losing a very, very close hard fight. Um, and a guy, and he is a guy who, you know, Mano Keiki now in the UFC. Ojukubo should absolutely have been in the UFC the whole time. He's more than proved his worth there. He completely dominated um, Pantoja in the semi-finals of that tournament. Pantoja is now, what, ranked number four in the flyweight division? Like, Ojukubo is absolutely there. He's one of the best fighters in the world at 125 pounds. This fight's at 135 pounds. So, there are certain aspects of this fight, at least technically, that I think Ojukubo is just better than Kayasakura. I think he mixes up better. I think he's more skilled. I think he's more competent in changing the direction of the fight. But where I have a real issue for him in this fight is the stylistic and the physical areas of it, where the thing about the Asakura brothers that kind of goes unnoticed through all their fights, because they're such devastating power strikers, is how ridiculously good their takedown defense is and how good their wrestling overall is. These guys have just got the heaviest hips, the best balance. They're posting, they're fighting grips, they're creating distance, they're pivoting off, they're doing everything that you need to do to snuff out takedown, defense, takedown attempts before they even get going. And taking down Kai Asakura for Ojukubo, I think, is going to be a very, very hard thing to do if he's shooting from the outside. Now, if he pressures Asakura, if he gets him to the head and body, and if he gets him thinking about the strikes, I think there's a chance he'll be able to get some takedowns in. He's got a very, very powerful, fast double leg. He knows how to finish it. He knows how to scoop guys up and dump them. And I think it has to be a very, very well set up, set up takedown for Ojukubo if he wants to win this fight. And I think that's why it's so difficult for him. He has to fight a fantastically game-planned and executed fight to beat a guy like Kai Asakura. I think Kai Asakura is physically and stylistically already tuned to beat a guy like Ojukubo because he's so much more of a power puncher. There's a really, really big height and reach advantage in this fight. He throws long, straight punches in combination. Ojukubo, yes, he has a really, really, I really like his defensive system because it's very kind of quirky and, and unique, and it does work. But he's a guy that also will wade into the fire and he's kind of flat-footed as the fight goes on. And if they're getting into a slugfest, Asakura's record as a power puncher is absolutely proven. I mean, the guy absolutely destroyed Oka Sasaki in the first round, shattered his jaw with a right hook. It was absolutely devastating. I remember the noise of it already. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember seeing that live. It was just it was just absolutely brutal. And I think that's really where the difference between the two really, really starts to show is the fact that Asakura's ability to generate fight-changing or fight-ending devastating moments of offense is so much more prevalent than Ojukubo. Ojukubo is such a technically nice, um, attritive fighter, a guy that fights three rounds, wins on pace, wins on volume. Asakura is just a brutal, shocking power puncher. And I think because Asakura is going to be so difficult to get out of his striking mode, Ojukubo is going to be at the mercy of that power. And I think I have to go with Asakura to win the fight. I would love it if Ojukubo won the fight. I'm such a huge fan of this guy. 
ever since I saw the Rising Confessions episodes before the fight with Horiguchi, where we saw how he lived, we saw his life story, which I won't really go into detail here. If anybody wants to go check those out, you can, because I think those stories, those Rising Confessions episodes, tell that story better than I ever could here, but it is just, it's one of the most like gut-wrenching things I've ever, ever seen in my life for an MMA fight, and what that guy's been put through with everything and what he's fighting for. Um, could not be rooting for the guy more, would not be more thrilled if he won, because of what a moment of, of righteous redemption that would be for him who's lost to Horiguchi twice now, a guy who's lost at the final hurdle before he got to fight DJ, before he got to fight the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world, he was that close. And he lost that Canellian fight. I just, yeah, I would love it if he won this. It would be such a moment of of triumph for him. It would make his whole career. He is 33 years old, which is kind of the cutoff point for this weight class, unless you're a really, really special kind of guy. 33, 34, flyweight and bantamweight, these are fast, tough divisions to be aging in because the, the fights are at such high pace and they go through so many modes and there are so many just tight, vicious exchanges. It's just very, very difficult as your athleticism and your physicality and your conditioning and your durability starts to fade to keep up with these guys. Asakura is in his prime. I think Asakura is trending upwards as a fighter, I hope at least, as we've seen with the kind of work he's been putting in with Uchiyama after the loss against um, Manel Cape. So I, I do have to edge with Kai Asakura here, but I, I love Ojukubo's skill set and I love his ability to, to pressure. You know, Kasakura is pretty susceptible to pressure, you know. Kasakura has footwork in the sense that if you go forward on him, he will use his footwork to move backwards in a straight line until he hits the rope. You know, that's basically the extent of his of his uh, his ring navigation. He's not really the most cute or nice fighter when it comes to moving into space or creating angles. Um, yeah, I've just said a bunch of words about the fight. I, I had all these notes written down for the podcast. I've barely been looking at them just because I've been going, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know it's okay because I think we pretty much all understand what you're thinking and you pretty much took the words right about right out of both of our mouths. Well, uh, yeah. well, I, have a, I have a question for you, Luke. What about Ogi Kubo's durability? Because if there's anything we saw in the Matoya Ishitari fight, he can take punches and and brutal and brutality like like literally like it is i've i maybe might be one of the top 10 maybe top five best chins in all of mma right now uh with what ogi kubo can uh, can take and after watching those two matches do you think that azakura and, we, and here's the thing azakura has gotten tired in matches and we and you know the jehoon moon rematch uh and then the uh, menel cape the first match that they had i know that azakura as, as the rounds go on, he doesn't, he's not as strong, he's not as explosive, he's a lot more tactical, uh, a lot, he takes less risks. Do you think that can at all be a factor as the, if this round goes beyond uh, round, uh, round two? I think, yeah, I think that's a really very interesting point because Ojikubo can hit the body and Kai Asakura, we all know, is very, very big for the weight. He's five foot nine. He's so ripped to shreds. I mean, there's absolutely no fat on him. When he must be getting down to that weight, he must be boiling every ounce of water out of his system. He must be so dried out, which we all know that makes you more susceptible to body shots and headshots, you know, if you're more dehydrated. So I think I think later on in the fights, we've seen, as you say, Ojikubo, he's comfortable in those, in those situations. Yeah, he was super tired in the Matoya fight. We saw him, like, taking deep breaths and almost resetting himself. He was super tired in the Ishibatari fight just because he had to... He had to wade into the storm against uh, such a crafty southpaw with just great takedown defense and really, really sharp, straight counter punches. Um, 
But with Azakura, sorry to interrupt, but I noticed that in the difference when they get tired, Oikubo doesn't, he doesn't slow down when he gets tired. But Azakura seems to slow down when he gets tired. But uh, I just want to point, I, I, from my own, uh, from what I've, I've observed. But go ahead, I'm sorry about that. No, no, I agree. And, and one thing I've seen with Azakura, at least in the first round, he, he bounces so much on the feet and he, he uses so much movement. He moves in and out. And I think that style, and also, I mean, everything the guy throws is just pure power punches as well. It's not like Ojukubo who, he's kind of almost, he has that kind of Nick Diaz style in that he doesn't throw everything with power. He just places it and makes sure he throws it right. Mm. Whereas Kai Sakura, everything is a hammer with him because he knows he only has to touch you once and he might be breaking your jaw and that might be it. So, yeah, I think Kai Sakura definitely, as the fight goes on, he puts so much weight and he uses such a, a high power, um, high movement style. I definitely, I definitely do think that's that's something that Ojukubo needs to be looking at is is taking this fight deep, not getting into the kind of exchanges that Kaisakura can punish him with early. If if you want to just get in on a takedown just to, to to work out the first round, you know what? Maybe maybe that's that's something worth pursuing. But I do, yeah, I definitely do, hundred percent exactly echo what you're saying. With the later this fight goes, if, we, if this honestly, if this fight gets into the second round, I think that's very interesting because, I mean, how many. Knockouts does Asakura have outside the second round? Not that many, right? You, I know he blew up Horiguchi and Yuki Sasaki very quickly. There was a I trend. Think the Saiga, I, Saiga fight might have been later on. Yeah. Well, there was a trend where he's not a real MMA fighter. So. There, there was a, a trend of when uh, where his fights against Topnoy, uh, the Jehu yes. Moon, and then the yeah. first Manel Cape, where they were, where they were just. He was kind of grappling instead of really doing any striking. And, you know, I guess against a guy like Topnoy, yeah, you don't really want to sh- strike against a Muay Thai guy like him. And the Jae-Hoon Moon rematch, uh, where he got knocked out by Jae-Hoon Moon in their first match in Road FC, I think that was more him trying to not, not let the same thing happen again. So with those two fights, he was a lot more ca- careful. The Manel Cape fight, uh, you know, was just an entire back and forth. You know, that that's one of the few times if there was ever a draw in MMA, I would have no problem with that. I don't know what your thoughts on that on that first fight that they had, um, if you remember it at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember going into the rematch, I remember distinctly thinking and being very aware of the fact that to, to win, even if I agree it was close enough to be a draw, but to win that fight, Kai Sakura had to wrestle. He had to wrestle Manel Cape to win that fight because the striking for him in the first round was so tough. He got hit with so many big shots because Cape just kept blitzing him. Yeah. And Kayasakura's response to a blitz is to move straight back and square his hips and hit the ropes and then get hit with big punches. So, so he, he had to dig himself out of such a deep hole there. Yeah. yeah, he had to wrestle. He had to slow it down. And they were very, very hard fights. Do you think that we can see that again where Ogikupo just sets up a punch to get Azakura to, to fall backwards and then go in for that takedown against either the turnbuckle or the rope? And you think you think that would be part of Ogikubo's game plan to do that? Absolutely. I think I think Ogikubo has to strike enough to set up the takedowns or the takedowns are just not going to work. Shooting from the outside against a guy who's athletic as Kaisakura and fast and has such heavy hips. I don't I as much as I rate Ojukubo's takedown ability, and he does have great takedown ability and has the ability to chain wrestle, I, I really think it's difficult for him, especially early on, to, to, to succeed getting a takedown on Asakura, just shooting in naked from the outside. He has to, I agree, he has to, he has to press Kaisakura, he has to hit to the body, hit to the head, set up a combination, and then go in for the, for the takedown, I think. Um, and, but here's the thing, I do, I rate Ojukubo as an intelligent fighter who understands how to play those two things off of each other. You know, we saw that in the issue with Tarian. 
Matoya fights. I think that's why he won both those fights. Is he fought two guys that were kind of in fighting single modes against him. So when Matoya was striking with Ojikubo, in Matoya's head, he was just striking. Whereas Ojikubo was always thinking about that takedown, and when he wanted to get that takedown, he got it. You know, and he was he was just working through different phases ahead of them, and that's why I think he just edged those fights. So I think he has that fight IQ and the ability to do that. He's not one dimensional in skill set or in approach. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, but that, that's this is why we're talking so much about Ojikubo's game plan and his approach because for him to win this fight and not get knocked out, he has to fight with such a precisely targeted and engineered strategy. It's, I think it's imperative. He cannot go out there and just do what he does or fight casually or just go into get into a slugfest because I don't think that ends well in any way. Yeah. Kaisukura is so big for the weight. He's, he's got such a long reach. He's, 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 throw, he's got hand speed, throwing combination, counter punches. He's aggressive, super hard to take down. The guy's just a problem. He's a real problem for a guy like Ojikubo who, you know, both these guys have made flyweight, but Ojikubo's like flyweight size. Yeah. Kaisukura is not flyweight size. He towered over Horiguchi. He's enormous for this weight. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely massive and he hits like a guy that is too. So I'm just going to read what Ogikubo and Azakura said during the press conference. Uh, Azakura said, I'm very happy very happy to be able to fight. I've learned so much from my last fight. That's a Manel K fight. And I know, I know that I've gotten better. I know I must win this fight for the future of Ryzen and the future of Japanese MMA. I am determined to win this belt. And then Ogikubo said this. He said two interesting things. He said, it has been a long journey, but I feel that I have finally come to where I need to be. I will show everything I've got and I will beat Azakura. Kai Azakura. Azakura-san, let's put on a good fight. He also mentioned, uh, oh, Ikuba-san also mentioned, I'm struggling with my YouTube account. It may be time to retreat. My plan was to have 3,000 subscribers in three days, but after four months, I'm still at 4,000. So, this has not only become a fight for the belt, but also al- almost like a YouTube revenge fight. Between Ogikubo, who has no subscribers, versus Kai Azakura, who has millions of subscribers. Any thoughts on the on what the, either of these two gentlemen said, Luke? Yeah, I think yeah, the YouTube thing is just weird. I mean, Kaisakura's got yeah, I mean the guys the guys got nuts subscribers. I mean, I think Kaisakura. I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of his videos, but a, a lot of it revolved around the gimmick of him dressing up like a stereotypical nerd and doing some kind of public hijinks where he reveals himself to be like a extremely tough, dangerous, scary cage fighter. <laughs> yes. Whereas most of Ojikubo's videos seem to be like him in his tiny studio apartment cooking so <laughs> i don't i don't think it has the same kind of like mainstream appeal unfortunately for like the youtube prank audience but like and subscribe y'all we've got to get my man's subscriber numbers up because we want to get him to move out of that, that shoebox apartment he's in yes and he definitely will, he'll be able to if he wins this fight oh boy yeah the question though Number one. My, do you think at all as a Kura, you know, we've seen this with fighters when they go into some other field, you know, Ronda Rousey when she was becoming an actress, same with Rampage when he was uh, doing uh, movies, where they just, they don't pay attention anymore to the fight game and, they, and their skills deteriorate because they're focusing on so many other things. Do you think it's at all a feasible possibility on Azakura's side that maybe he's paying attention too much to his YouTube channel and it might reflect in this fight? I think with Asakura, that's a possibility. I think also what a possibility is, he's almost focusing too much on the fighting because he's fell in love with... This is what this is my read on the way he approached the Manel Cape fight. Is he was so in love with his own punching power, and he, was, and he believed in it so much 
because of what he did to Sasaki and Horiguchi. I mean, how could you not? I mean, mm. what he did to Oka Sasaki is just one of the nastiest, most vicious finishes I've ever seen in the sport. I mean, just the sound of it, it just makes my stomach turn, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, and, and he went into that fight looking like a guy who knew he could hit incredibly hard and just fought like that, you know? He, he forgot that in the first fight, he had to take Cape down, he had to grind and win those rounds. It was not a fight that he went out there and he slugged with Cape and he won that way. Um, so I think Asakura definitely was drinking his own Kool-Aid a bit from those two wins because they were so impressive and dominant. Um, the YouTube thing, that might be a distraction too. I think, yeah, but I think before that, going into that Cape fight, I definitely think he was trending in the direction of a guy that was into his own hype because he was so popular as well. I mean, the public just like ate him up. You know, the, the, he became more famous than Horiguchi almost right after beating him. And it was only beating Horiguchi that made him famous. You know, it was it was a very a very weird thing how quickly his star flew. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think he's definitely. I hope at least for a fight like this that he's he's fully into improving technically, improving his fundamentals, the kind of things that he needs to improve on. He wants to live in this bantamweight division because this is such a tough division. I mean, you look at the kind of guys that are in here. I mean, Victor Henry, like guys got skills for days. Got so much like technical nous and, and depth to his game. Noiki Inoue's up here, Trent Gurdum's up here, like a, just a nasty southpaw kickboxer who's just so, so polished. Love that guy's game, love everything about that we guy. We could add uh, the um, winner of Inoue, Watanabe, depending on how that fight goes. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's so much activity, and, and, and these guys are working so, so hard and improving so, so much. If he's if he's out here being the, the, the semi-pro MMA fighter YouTuber who's just resting on his laurels and being a power puncher, yeah, this, he's, he's, he's going he's gonna to run into trouble real quick, real quick, um, because Ojukubo ain't that guy. Ojukubo ain't living large. He ain't, he ain't got fangirls. He ain't got groupies. He's out here grinding, you know? Like, he's living this life. The guy is, the guy is a total gym rat. I mean, he's posting on social media all the time. The gym's empty. It's just him on the heavy bag. He's just getting that work in, you know? Like, I have absolutely no, no uh, lack of confidence in his commitment to this whatsoever. Imagine uh, Ojukubo wins, and so he becomes... You know, like Conor McGregor, he's wearing sunglasses and tuxedo at the press conference. He's talking, he's talking shit uh, to all the fighters and uh, to all this competition. Imagine just like that 180 happens in 2020 that he becomes, yeah. becomes, uh, he becomes this shit talker and just, just like he doesn't go to the gym anymore and all that shit after winning the Rising Band and Weight title. If that happens, you know what? Like with the kind of like shit deal that life has dealt him, I wouldn't. I would totally sympathize with him if he went with the kind of like the fuck you energy if he if he won this because like yeah man he'd be on top of the world and like yeah. he's, he's had such a tough time getting screwed by UFC his wife divorcing yes. him after that whole thing yeah. um, losing his first rising fight to Horiguchi even though he put up a good fight you know vacating the yeah. shooto tie he everything living in that little studio apartment I seen the videos like. I, I'm, you know, if a fire breaks down that thing, I have no idea where you go besides the front door. I don't even know if there's any yeah. windows in that place. Yeah. I think his apartment is the fire escape. Yeah. <laughs> but in all seriousness, and I'm going to go ahead and give my thoughts about this fight now, even though y'all already talked about a mile a minute about this fight. <laughs> oh, no. I'll just say oh. this. I'll just say this. I think that if Okikubo doesn't win this fight, he's probably going to be a shell of his former self. Even though, yeah, he's been on a bit of a winning streak. He won his last two in the rise in the ring. We all know his backstory. We 
Seppuku, which unfortunately means commit suicide in Japanese, but I just hope that he can actually build himself up to where people actually remember him. As far as Kai goes, I don't think he's going to go full-blown Jake and Logan Paul or Conor McGregor if he wins this fight, because of course, let's not forget, the Asakura brothers, Mikuru and Kai, are like the Diaz brothers here in the States, except they don't smoke weed, they just fight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, basically, if Kai wins this fight, I don't see him changing one bit. I just think he'll be the man who defeated Kyoji, the man who wants to fight Kyoji again. <laughs> You know, if the international borders do open back up, and a man who, if he defeats Kyoji again, will make himself to be one of the biggest stars in combat sports on that side of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> but as far as who I think is going to win this fight, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of split down the middle on this. And I know I don't, and I know I want to see a knockout or a submission happen in this fight, but I think we're going to get three rounds of total nonstop action, and I'm not talking about the pro wrestling promotion that turned into Impact Wrestling. I'm just saying, we're going to see from balls to the wall type of action that's going to be thrilling from start to finish. Mm -hmm. But I do have a soft side for Hiromasu Kubo and what he's gone through. And unfortunately for Kai, even though he did, I mean, even though he fought his ass off in those two fights against Manel Cape and obviously lost the second one, I don't think he has what it takes to defeat Hiromasu Kubo, not just based off of the not just based off of experience, but off of sheer heart and determination as well. Therefore, I'm going to side with the minority and go with Ogie Kubo. Well, yes. Christian, I'm going to have to go with you. Ogie Kubo, you know, I'm on the Ogie Kubo. Let's go, oh, uh, we're, I thought you were, did you, did, I thought you were initially picking Azakura, Luke. I am, but I'm, I'm rooting so hard for him that, you know, my heart pick is Ogie Kubo, even if my gotcha. head's saying Kai. Well, listen, I'm on the Ogie Kubo high train. You know, if, listen, this is great. I'm so happy you guys are saying this. Yes, th I'm on. The, we're, we're on the Ogi Kubo hype train. His his story is fascinating. This is this is a Japanese MMA Cinderella story. Him winning would be the ultimate. This would be the, the you know. Well, there's been a lot of shitty things in 2020 that we don't need to go through uh, throughout so many different uh, aspects. If Ogi Kubo were to win this title, it would be probably one of the Few things that in 2020 have put a smile on my face, because. Amen. Amen. Bro. So, you know, here's the thing: Azakura should have been champion. That they should never have had a dumb non-title fight. He was he was champion. He should have had it, and then either you know the the, the fight would have would have fallen out anyway. So then he would have defended the title. It shouldn't have been a vacant uh, title fight between him and Manel Cape. He should have. It should have been Azakura losing the title. Cape winning the title, Cape vacating, now Azakura has a second chance to get that title. I feel bad for Azakura because he has not had that title even though he's had two chances. This will be his third chance. But I have to pick Ogikubo. Ogikubo, um, I think he's going to drag this for three rounds. He's going to torture Azakura for three rounds. I think Azakura, I, I do wish this, this would be a five-rounder. I wish that's the one thing I wish Ryzen would do for child fights, five rounds. 
Because if this were five rounds, you know, I, I, it w I think it would be a definite win for Ogikubo. Uh, but three rounds, Azakura still has a chance to win, but I think as the fight goes on, it will get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. I don't think that uh, that Ogikubo is going to let Azakura get those power strikes on him. He's going to bait Ogi. He's going to bait, bait Azakura, going for a takedown, go, do do exactly what we talked about before, Luke. He's going to have him back up and then go for that takedown, get him down the ground, hold him down to the ground, maybe strike and then you know stand up, try to repeat. I don't see. You know, if, if this ever gets to a brawl, it might be near the end of the third round. Azakura's tired, but Ogikubo still has some energy in tank. But uh, Ogikubo all the way. Ogikubo all the way. New Bantamweight champion. I'm so oh, excited yeah. for this fight. I'm That's so fine. fucking That's excited. Great. Thank you. That's great. Now, uh, yeah, this is like, I think, mm -hmm. it's got to be up there as like probably one of the most like emotionally intense, high-stakes personal fights that I think Ryzen's ever had yes. with both these guys. So like you said, the fact that Asakura was was denied that opportunity um, to be the champion, even though he was in all but name. And the fact that Oji Kubo is, like you said, this is the Cinderella story. This is the guy who's had everything go against him, finally possibly making good. I mean, it's so... The stakes could not be higher. It's really incredible. It's, 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 a, it's an amazing fight, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we do have a question from uh, our good friend at Teacher Junk. Teacher the Junk. Yep, and I'm going to pose this question to you Jeez. first. Uh, he asks, you guys think we'll see more Bellator Ryzen cooperation before the year is out? And I guess that's providing also the borders open. So, Luke, what do you think? We'll see more like a Bellator Ryzen combo show, you think, maybe for New Year's by any chance? Or at any point beforehand if the uh, borders open up? I think that's a very, very long shot. I think fighters, individual ones, I think that's a lot more likely. So, a guy that I've seen a lot of talk about, maybe, I mean, I don't know if this is just fan speculation or there's actually any grounding to it, but um, Goiti Yamauchi, mm -hmm. the lightweight in, in Bellator, I don't know if he lives in Japan. He might live in America, right? I could be wrong there. He might but live in Brazil. Yeah, I, I think he lives in Brazil. Because he he, okay. he, he's Japanese-Brazilian. But I think he trains in Brazil. I could be wrong, though. I could be wrong. But I definitely know he doesn't live in Japan. Yes, yeah, right. You're absolutely right there. So I think I think the opportunity for some talent sharing to go on in terms of individual fighters, I think that's possible. I think an event like Bellator coming to Japan and doing the same kind of thing they did last year's end with like a combo show, uh, very unlikely. Ryzen going to America in... 2020 is doing an event there, I think impossible. I, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen whatsoever. It just doesn't seem logistically, financially, uh, even legally possible at this point. That's going to happen this year. But I, w I would love to see some individual uh, fighters go back and forth, you know. Yeah, definitely. That stuff's so exciting to me, you know. Mm -hmm. When they did the big MSG show, when they brought over John McAppa and, and Patchy Mix. Mm -hmm. It was just, yeah, it was just such an interesting dynamic and seeing guys in a completely different environment. And also fighting other guys that we're super familiar with, but they would never otherwise fight. It's just such a such a unique thing that we see so rarely. So yeah, fingers crossed we see one or two talent sharing um, instances happen of, of individual fighters. That'd be nice. Not super confident it's going to happen. Events get out of town. Not in 2020. Not happening. Mm. Well, I'll just, I'll just also uh, branch off that. Do you think we'll see this uh, this big Ryzen MMA K1 Olympic show? At all this way? Oh, boy. Yeah, Jesus Christ. I mean, that whole issue is, I mean, 
making heads or tails of where the wind's blowing re- with regard to that just seems almost impossible because in terms of like the public messaging that you'll get about it, you'll get guys like Tenshin and Sakakibara and the guys on the rising side. Now Koji, who's obviously the big sign who's coming from K1, they will make public statements that seem to vaguely suggest that they would like this to happen, but without any real specific planning or proposition to it. And then from the K1 side, you'll get nothing. You'll get guys like um, like you know the K1 producer whose name has slipped my mind. Apologies. And then you'll get guys like Takaru, who's their you know their talisman, their man, who has historically just been like a total K1 ambassador, but has now more recently come out and, and kind of given a more realistic, um, even-handed take on it. And, and he said that you know, in so many words, that yeah, promotions need to come together, especially now that the Olympics aren't happening this year, and make something of an Olympic scale happen for Japanese fighting. And historically, the only real event on that scale that we've seen was the, the last time that K1 and the biggest MMA promotion collaborated together with the first Dynamite event in 2002 at Tokyo National Stadium or whatever it's called, the big 90, the mythical 90,000, yeah, yeah, the mythical 90,000 seat biggest MMA show ever event. That was, that was the biggest co-promotion we've ever seen in the country. Um, and that was the last time, I think, where you can say that, like, fight sports were on an Olympic level in Japan. I think... The chance of that happening this year, I mean, God only knows. I've got, I've got zero confidence saying either way on that. Anything can happen. It's 2020, um, but I wouldn't hold out hope, hope for it because, you know, K1 are running K1. And their, their interests are basically almost totally towards themselves and, you know, controlling their stable of fighters and putting on their shows with their guys where, you know, they're running the show on every single end and they're taking all of the profits. So... Don't hold out hope for it, but it's a very, very nice idea. And if it does happen, I mean, we're all eating. You know, we're all eating great content there. Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. That would be a dream come true. Uh, and uh, for this card, Rise of 23, three, three of the fights, three of the nine fights that you're looking forward to the most, and why? Um, the main event, number one, for all the reasons that we stated, mm-hmm. because it's just the most high-stakes, high-level matchup that is on either of these cards, in my opinion. And I just, yeah, I mean, whatever outcome, however the fight goes ahead in terms of, like, the physical and technical aspects of it, I think is going to be great because both these guys are so good. And the outcome of it is going to be so, so massively important for either guy and the direction of the division and the the organization going forward. My second favorite fight on the card, um, I'm going to go with probably Ito and, and Makoto Shinru just because... It's two incredible, like, super confident skill grapplers going up against each other. Both young, both in their prime, both with really, really good records. Both, especially on Makoto Shinru's end, with, like, a real upward momentum to where he's going, I think, in his career. I'm just really, really excited to see that one go down. And for the for the third one, I mean, there's so many bouts that could go in that third slot. The Saito Majima fight's really, really cool. The, uh, the Nakamura Salmoto fight, I'm really excited to see. Um... Yeah, I'm probably going to go with, with Saito and Majima. You know, I'd like to throw a kickboxing bout in there, but just because all three of them, in my opinion, are pretty one-sided, mm-hmm. technically. I don't really... I think there's just a massive skills advantage on one side of those matchups, every single one of them. So I can't really, in good faith, put that in the top three. So I'll go with, with Saito and Majima there, just because both guys are so proven, and it's such a, such a well-matched fight. Mm. How about you, Christian? Well... Let's face it, we all are going to be excited for the main event. Mm-hmm. We are all 
gonna be excited for Asakura versus Oki Kubo because this is gonna be one of the most talked about fights in JMMA history, aside from the main event taking place the night before. But if I were to say three fights that would probably take my interest aside from the main event, it would have to be Kaito versus Daryl Lukuku because of course we all want to see Kaito try and knock out Lukuku in his first professional in the professional kickboxing bout. And the two bantamweight bouts that could decide no it actually shit. Contessa no face Boku versus Jin Aoi just because we want to see Boku at least try and put up a fighting effort like unfortunately what he wasn't doing in his last three 1FC fights. And of course the co-main event between Montoya and Oi because it could decide the pecking order of the featherweight I mean of the bantamweight division. And for mine, what about you, Andrew? yeah, the, those three, uh, the main event, co-main, and then the uh, uh, Saito-Majima fight. The fights have such importance. The the skill sets uh, between all six of those fighters, those are six highly skilled fighters. These feel, these feel like fights that, you know, you know Ryzen tends to make those fights where they want, obviously, someone to win. We That's definitely with the Boku-Aoi uh, fight. I think, where they obviously want Boku to win that, Kaido to beat Lokuku. Um, but with those, with the six uh, fighters, um, the seventh, eighth, and ninth matches, they feel like even matches in terms of like, these are high-level MMA fighters uh, fighting to see who the best is, or in the case of the main event, who's good, who, who's best enough to be champion. So I really like that. Ryzen gets a lot of shit for, for mismatches, for putting freak show fights, but when they put on a... a when they book a fight, like the main event and the co-main and then the 145 uh, Saito-Majima match, I think a lot of people don't pay attention to that. They, they just they, they, they forget that, that Ryzen has some great matchmaking up their sleeve that gets lost in all the memes about freak shows and open weight fights. They put on fantastic, uh, fantastic lower weight fights. And I hope that these fights, I hope those fights don't get uh, ignored. Um, which happens to tend, it tends to happen to with a lot of high technical matches because, you know, I guess they, a lot of people just expect Japan, Japanese fights to just be open weight, uh, messes of, of heavyweights. Not because they are fighting Rumble. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Those get, those get the, those always get the attention, but, you know, when you see a high, you know, when you see a high level match like Azakura Okubo, let's be honest, you know, unfortunately, it does not get the attention it, it deserves, unfortunately. But those are that, yeah. That's the thing about these fights is in order to like identify them and see value in them, you actually have to know what you're talking about yeah. and know what you're looking at. And I mean, who wants to do that? So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, uh, Christian, do you want to do the sign-offs? Um, uh, well, actually, Luke, is there anything else that you want to say about this card, um, Ryzen Twenty Two, or you know, you want to beg uh, Ryzen to make their shows easy to watch? I'm going to throw the floor to you if you have any any last words. Oh, God. I mean, I want to shamelessly pimp and promote yourself. Go right ahead. Uh, um, yeah, so talking about um, making it easy to watch, I don't need to say anything here in regards to that because I've, I've already been filling Shingo's uh, Twitter DM inbox with just... <laughs> Stuff that I'd be too embarrassed to read out here in terms of trying to tell him how to run his business, which he's he's got the patience of a saint for not blocking me for, you know, to be honest with you. That guy 
shout-outs to Shingo, first of all, for just working so damn hard and doing so much for them. I mean, the guy's... I feel like he runs almost almost every single aspect of the promotion or something. He's just... He's, he's got his fingers in all the part... In, he's got his finger in every single part. He's doing so much. Um, and he takes the time out to, like, interact with all the international fans, you know? So, so good for him. I um, could not, uh, like, you know, give more credit to that guy for all the hard work he does. Shout-outs to you two for having me on here. Shout-outs to you two for taking the time to, to produce a show like this, uh, the regularity that you do. It's not easy. People think it is. People think it's just a DOS that you just get on Skype and talk shit. It's a huge time investment. I've only done this once now with you two guys, and this has been a massive thing for me. This has taken up, you know, half my fucking evening. You guys are doing this all the time. You're out here. You're creating a platform, and you're creating a content so that we get to have a culture that we can call our own. This, without this kind of stuff, we don't have anything. Or we have a bunch of people talking shit on Twitter, which is fine because I'm one of them, you know. But with this stuff, that just you just take it to a higher level because you're interacting with the fighters, you're interacting with the promoters, and you're creating you're creating just a much higher level of involved content and awareness for everybody. So I really really appreciate you just raising all of our games here with the work that you do, mm. and for taking the risk and having having my uh, my dumbass on here. Like I know my Twitter account's locked down. You don't know what kind of stupid shit I was saying. I could have done anything here, you know. And, Obviously, I didn't, but I appreciate what you guys, you, buy, you guys, you know, you put out an open invite, and I said, yeah, what the hell? And uh, I hope that um, it'll be paid off for you as far as you're concerned. I had a great time. You know, this, this was so much fun. I'm so glad I did it. No, we appreciate you, on Luke. We understand you, Luke. We appreciate it. And to be fair, it's more Andrew doing everything. I just came along for the ride. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, you, you weren't even here for the first half hour, so. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Credit for me sleeping, I mean, credit for me not getting enough sleep and sleeping on a fucking couch instead of on a mattress. Yeah. <laughs> life, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, in all seriousness, Luke, how can the good people get in contact with you, even though you said your Twitter account's not down? Oh yeah, so my, my Twitter account's locked to the public. Um, it's at Luquid Swords, so it's a really, really dumb and non-word, it's very hard to spell, um, it's my name, Luke, and then U-I-D, Swords, uh, if you want to read my tweets, basically it's like saying liquid swords, instead you just put your actual first name on it, I have just taken the, the yeah, the Chizzer album and stuck my name on the, on the front end of it, like my man, at Action Johnson, so, that's where I'm out on Twitter, that's where I'd be most days, I'm on, like, Sherdog and We've got, like, the Beyond Kickboxing Discord server. We're out here. Shouts to those guys. You know, they're on here every day talking about J-Kick and, and Muay Thai and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's, it's, a, it's, a real, it's a real thriving community. You know, you know I've, I've seen it really, really kind of just at the general activity level has ticked up, I think, pretty significantly in the last year or so. Uh, it's been great to watch. It's been great to be a part of. Uh, your guys' show is such a great, I think, pillar of this community and, and, and all the interviews you guys do and all the research. Um yeah, you guys are so important to this, and, and thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. I was glad I was able to come, and we were able to get this done. And I mean, having three people, you know, come together right now and put to, to put this much time into a single show—it's it's a serious thing. We've all got lives, you know. We've got stuff going on. We've got obligations, responsibilities that we have to we have to work around to get to get this on. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm really really grateful. For a show, two shows that may not even be shown internationally—we don't even know at this point—and that we might oh, have to know. that we might have to provide English commentary for. Through, through some weird VPN, through a Beam of TV or whatever. Sky Perfect, I mean. Um, you know what? Again, I'm going to go ahead and say this one more motherfucking time just so that the people of Fight TV and the people of the Rising Fight Federation 
family outside of Japan can see these two shows, Ryzen 22 and Ryzen 23, taking place this weekend as of this recording. August 9th and 10th from the Via Arena MM in Yokohama, Kanagawa, Japan. If y'all don't make shit up and just say, hey, we're going to put this show out just for all the fans around the world to see, what the fuck is the point of us doing this podcast? Other than wasting our damn voices and talking about a promotion that won't do right by us. Because y'all say y'all want to do an event in America. Y'all say y'all want to put y'all faces out globally, which of course Luke is in England, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. Yeah, if y'all want to put this, if y'all want to put this out globally, y'all better get on the fucking ball. Because we can't be doing this shit if y'all not going to be providing for us. And that's all I gotta say about that. Other than that, for those of y'all who are interested, if y'all want to go ahead and pester Fight TV or the Rise and Fight Federation as much as y'all can, be sure to check them out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Rising's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube handles. Facebook.com slash the Rock. Facebook.com slash Rise and Fight Federation. At Rise and Fight Federation on Instagram. On Twitter at Risington underscore PR, at Rising underscore English, and YouTube.com slash user slash Rising Fight Federation for Fight TV. Their handles are all at Fight TV on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And YouTube is YouTube.com slash user slash Fight TV. Pester the fuck out of them. Make sure you get them noticing. Make sure you understand that without putting these fight cards out there, there is no future in America for Verizon. There is no future on Fight Verizon. We might as well be looking at these on a damn Japanese VPN for all we fucking know. But still, enough about me wasting my breath. Andrew's on Twitter at AbengerOne. I'm on Twitter at ChrisGary92. The show handle at We Are Rising Pod, W E A R E R I Z I M P O D, all in one word. You can check out this podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, and Podbean, and hopefully soon wherever we get our regular podcast of choice, such as Google and Himalaya and all that shit. But other than that, man, we thank y'all for listening. Woo! We thank you for joining us, and we hope that the global MMA community realizes that without Japanese MMA being shown to the masses, we wouldn't be able to hear Lenny Hart say... And with that, we out this mug. Talk to y'all later. Hopefully, if all goes well, the fights will be shown. If not, we will probably have to do a Twitch stream. Until then, we'll be on our 